after about three years or so, I was uh, I moved over to what they call a Satum team, which was back in the day, a long time ago, before they had uh, precision-guided weapons like cruise missiles and stuff like that. The precision guidance system was a was a man with a pair of boots on. So uh, you would put a nuclear weapon in a backpack, and you'd walk that mother in wherever you wanted to put it. You'd set a timer on it and try to get out and hope that you got out before that thing went off. So um, they were called um, uh, Special Atomic Demolitions Teams. And um, there were uh, about, I think, four of them total in the Army. And um, that, that, dude, uh, that dude didn't smoke, and he walked very softly. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Welcome to Oil & Whiskey, an Ironclad Original. I am Josh Henning. I'm Phil Gerber. I'm Jeremy Gerber. Welcome to Oil & Whiskey, an Ironclad Original. Today's guests are the founders of Hooten Young. We'll also have another edition of In the Glove Box. Hooten Young is a veteran-owned cigar and whiskey company out of Orlando, Florida, founded by friends Norm Hooten and Tim Young. Norm Hooten is a retired Special Mission Unit Master Sergeant from the U.S. Army, co-founder of Hooten Young, and clinical pharmacist for the VA. Tim Young is a financial consultant and co-founder of Hooten Young. This has got, there's a lot of shit on this paper. i got to go to the second page. That's a, it's a serious introduction. Yeah, it's a serious introduction. Uh, Norm took part in Operation Gothic Serpent in Somalia, the operation that influenced the book and movie Black Hawk Down. After his retirement in 2002, he became the head of the Federal Air Marshal's Global Response Team and the King Abdullah Special Operations Training Center in Jordan. Hooten Young donates a portion of all proceeds to veteran aid charities. To learn more about Hooten Young, visit hootenyoung.com. You can also follow them on Instagram at hooten.young. Guys, welcome to Oil & Whiskey. Welcome, guys. We're excited Glad to be here. Guys. Good to see you. Well, we're going to get into this whiskey. Uh, should we start with the 12-year uh, or the 16-year first? More? I think the 12-year is always a great place to start. 12 years where we're going to start. While Jeremy's pouring that up, I do have an observation from that great intro. It doesn't seem like the government can ever run out of names to make acronyms for any type of special operations or missions or anything. They have to use six, seven, eight words to describe something. Yep. It never changes. <laughs> it never changes. It's you with Josh. It's just one. It's an asshole. <laughs> yeah, that's simple. Yeah, just call me asshole, and yeah, we're we're done. So, guys, what's been going on? What was the what was a, a day in your lives like today? Go ahead, Tim, kick it off. Well, you know, interesting enough, my whole day is full of hoot and young. Between our whiskey business and our cigar business, it's constantly there's something going on between marketing operations and stuff like that. Norm actually has the best job in the world. He's so. And we explained, Norm, you, you're dating today. Did you ride your tractor today? No, not today. That, that was this weekend. <laughs> I was actually uh, actually uh, working uh, as a pharmacist today. So um, um, good day. Long day, but good day. Well, Josh, you didn't mention that uh, that Norm also has his doctorate in pharmacy. Yeah, right? he did. He did. He did? Uh, yeah. Which is it was, it was it was amazing. An old man who got it at, what, what was it, 51 years old when you got that? You know, I started it. I was 52. I, I um, I uh, finished it when I was 56, and um, um, it's one of those things, you know, that uh, be a little careful about the things you commit to in the future. But uh, <laughs> when I uh, when I started it, I, I started it because of uh, I had, you know, obviously coming from special operations, I realized that uh, 
there are a lot of um, veterans, but specifically in my wheelhouse, special operations soldiers who had problems with uh, opioids, prescription opioids specifically. So I thought um, at the time that I would, I would learn from those, learn about those things from the ground up, went to pharmacy school um, and um, learned as much as I could about them and served in the VA and, and um, uh, neuropsych, which is substance, substance use disorders and PTSD. What was your thought process at that point to go back to school, that type of commitment, learning about it? What was your goal and how to try and change the epidemic or help in any way by being a pharmacist? Yeah, you know, I um, it wasn't like I went back to school. I never really went to school the first time. I just, uh, <laughs> All right, that, ex- that explains all that because I, I didn't like school the first time. I would have definitely not gone back a second. Yeah, if I had, uh, it's kind of like, uh, you know, those things that you do, you go, you think I, you might like it. And then after you do it once, you realize that you don't. Um, but it, I was in it. It was too late, too late to back out of the deal. So, um, but uh, I had several friends um, that were very, very special to me that I served with, you know, throughout my adult life. And, and a couple of them ended up um, dying from uh, opioid overdoses. And um, a couple more ended up uh, tragically uh, committing suicide. But all of them had some sort of um, some sort of opioid connection to to the troubles they had in their life, and so I thought that I would go back and and uh, you know uh, try to figure it out and and help where I could. And um, you know I don't know that I'm any closer to figuring it out now than I was when I started, but but um, I had to do something. Doing nothing was really not not an option for me. That's awesome. You've definitely lived lived a life of service. Um, where did that come from? Tell us about the younger days on both of you guys and your upbringing and, and kind of what's brought you here. Were you all born and raised in Texas, Florida? Where? Both of us were born and raised in Texas. Uh, um, I come from a little town in west south southwest Texas, just south of Big Bend country. It's called Brackettville, Texas. Closest town to us would be Del Rio. Texas, which is right on the river. You see a lot about Del Rio in the news because of the um, immigration crisis, people coming across the border. Um, but um, when I was there in Bracket, we had about a thousand people in that town and, and um, um, that was on a busy day. Um, but um, um, ranch working family, hard, hard working background, blue, very, very blue collar. In fact, I think I'm the first person on my uh, dad's side of the family to get out of high school. And um, uh, most of them stopped uh, their education when they were in middle school or early in high school and went to work on the ranches or in oil fields. And um, I, I played football, so I didn't have to do that. So I, when, I would, when I would come home at the end of the day after football practice, I'd stay there as long as I could to avoid working on the ranch. My grandfather used to call me lazy. But, um, <laughs> it's getting uh, smart, man. It's good thinking. Yeah. But um, I remember when I was uh, getting out of high school, I was thinking about going off to to college, I'd never known anybody that had gone to college, you know, because people that went to college from where I grew up didn't come back to that little town. They went off to the big city of Houston or Dallas and, um, you know, pursued a career. And um, uh, I asked my grandpa, I said, you think I should, uh, what do you think about this college thing? You think I should go to college? And he goes, the way I see it, people will go to college to work for other people. And if you want to work for somebody, I got plenty of stuff for you to do right around here. And um, so not long afterwards, I found myself in the United States Army. But uh, um, 
you know, my dad was very, very similar. We call a guy hard, you know, just uh, worked all his life. But uh, early on when I was a kid, he was involved in, in some uh, some activities that landed him, in, landed him in and out of jail. So I spent most of my time around my grandfather growing up. My dad was kind of uh, between between sentences as a kid. He was in there anything from um, making whiskey, fighting dogs, fighting chickens, homicide, you name it. He, he, he uh, managed to manage to find himself in trouble a few times growing up. But uh, thankfully, I had good, uh, a great mom and, and a, a great, great supporting cast around me. And um, but, uh, but yeah, that's, that's pretty much it for me. What, and I'll turn it over to them. What made before we get there? I want to get a question. Uh, I've got a, a, a good bit of family members that you know were in the armed forces, and it's probably. I've t- said it before, probably one of my biggest regrets of, is is being too big of a pussy to do it because I always wanted to do it, and I didn't think I was man enough to do it. Probably hey, was. Were, yeah, you were right. Probably wasn't man yeah. enough to do it, but I, it would have been nice to get, you know, to see. Of course. But I always ask this question to people I run across. I want to know at, you know, 17, 18 years old, what made you chur- choose that specific branch? What made you choose Army over other things? Uh, you know, it's a good question. I um had always, you know, when I was a little kid grew up in that small town, I was fortunate enough to be that, of that age where I, I kind of was an elementary school, middle school in the 60s. And um, um, when I would go down to the barbershop every every weekend to get a haircut, I was surrounded by guys who had served in uh, World War II, Korea, and currently serving in Vietnam. So, um, and I used to really look at those uh, old Viet, uh, Vietnam, especially the World War II vets and think, and these guys are really, really old. For a six or seven-year-old kid, they were old. But I look back on it now that most of them were in their early 40s. So they were, they weren't that far removed. Now that I look back on, on things that have happened to me in my life, uh, you know, they were just, uh, you know, 10, 10 years, 15 years or so out of, uh, out of uh, World War II. So, um, but they were just awesome, awesome uh, role models. A lot of them were uh, in the Marine Corps and a lot of them were in the Army. And um, I think that, that, um, both of those kind of um, attract um, rural, rural country boys, you know, the guys that like to, uh, you know, kind of go out and hunt and fish and stuff like that. But the other thing that I think that was significant is that uh, when they draft people, uh, people get drafted to the Army and to the Marine Corps, right? So I was uh, surrounded by people who had either volunteered to go and do it, uh, but for the most part had probably been drafted. And um, so I didn't have a lot of exposure to the other services. And in the Air Force um, at the time, you know, I mean, there were privates in the Army older than the Air Force back back when that thing first started. So um, so I was exposed primarily to the Marine Corps and the Army. When I got a little older, um, you know, um, I, I had always considered going in the military. And it was really kind of a toss-up. In fact, I went down when I first started talking to my recruiter. I talked to a Marine recruiter. And then... Um, um, when I had a couple of friends that went in the army, when I heard the things that they were getting, like jump school, going to rent, you know, going to the Ranger Battalion, stuff like that, um, I just I just felt like the army was a better fit for me. But I uh, got a lot of respect for the Corps and the other services. Awesome. What about you, Tim? Well, my dad was in the military for 34 years, and um, he was in World War II, Korean War, all that kind of stuff. And it's interesting. I wasn't born in Texas, but I was born in Aberdeen Proving Grounds up in Maryland. And then we moved down to Huntsville. Uh, my dad was with uh, uh, the, uh, what is it called, NATO Missile Command. So he did a lot of the n- uh, nuclear missile stuff, which we didn't know anything about that until later in life. Yeah. But interesting enough is that 
you know, I first of all, I'll tell you, I always tell people that he's the face and I'm the wallpaper because <laughs> he's got a great story. He's he he's not even telling you everything because he's got a deep history of what's going on. And my stuff is just boring. I mean, essentially, uh, my dad eventually moved to uh, Corpus Christi, Texas. I was in fourth grade and I grew up in Texas and I love Texas. Um, my heart's always in Texas. And uh, interesting enough is I ended up at, at Baylor. And uh, well, I started off at Texas A&M and I kind of got drunk too much. And uh, I guess they asked me to leave a couple of times. Uh, then eventually <laughs> I ended up at Baylor. And uh, when I was at, at A&M, it was funny because it was probably seven guys to each girl. And it was really kind of tough. I joined a fraternity and all that kind of stuff. And I was one of those guys, right? My parents didn't have anything. My dad was military. My mom was a school teacher. My sister's a school teacher. My brother's a school teacher. And they came on and asked me, said, why don't you become a teacher? I said, I don't want to be a teacher and I don't want to join the military. I've been on every freaking post pretty much my life. And I said, you know, I'm going to go. I'll go to Baylor for the summer. I went to Baylor and there were seven girls for every guy. I didn't care what I majored in. But I think I, I know right, what you, you majored know. in. Yeah. 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 Now, now we get to the now we get to the bottom of it. <laughs> enough, I, I, when I started meeting girls there, I was like going, man, all they want is MRSs. You know what that is? Yep. Well, they want to get married and have kids. I went, yep. hell, I don't want any of those. And so I met this young lady or girl at the time. Her name is Stephanie, who I ended up marrying. I've been married to her 36 years. And uh, we um, so we, we both graduated from Baylor. And then I end up at PwC or Price Coopers in Boston. I didn't even know where Boston was. I applied to two firms, got in both of them. I don't know how I got in. My grades are shit, but I somehow got in. And essentially, you know, I ended up getting into the county field, which I didn't want to do. Uh, ultimately, what happens is I end up becoming CFO of multiple companies. I'm a finance guy, but I think now people will tell you I'm more of a sales guy uh, because we're basically doing well in our company now. But uh, I lived in Hong Kong a couple of times overseas. And essentially, that's where it's driven us. Now, Norm, you have a story before when I start. We start talking about how we met. What got you? And what's the next step of progression you did in the army? You got you were in the uh, regular army for about three years, or what was it? Yeah, well, first of all, back up a little bit, Tim. Tim, Tim is uh, um, um, underestimates himself. He's he's really been a dynamo behind what we've done, um, and he is a. Uh, an excellent uh, businessman, but uh, really just an awesome, awesome person. And and um, his personality just lends itself to, on top of everything else he does good, lends itself to business development. So not, I wouldn't call him sales. It's, he's, he, he goes out and finds ways to uh, connect people to make business opportunities just materialize that would not, not normally have been there. Well, I think a lot of people go after them, you know, and they, they see something and they go after it once they see it. But Sometimes when you see it, it's already too late. Tim thinks of things ahead of time, goes out, makes them kind of uh, materialize out of out of, a, out of, a, out of nothing and gets it done. But but yeah, so he can't can't uh, underestimate the role he plays with, with the company. I know he likes to say he's the wallpaper, but wouldn't be here if it wasn't for Tim Young. This is like a regular employee review kind of thing here. This is awesome. <laughs> you, you got a, you got an A plus there, Dude, Tim. If we get no, on a podcast, I just, I just saw how he said he all, every time we get on a uh, podcast or something, he's like, you know, I, I really don't play a big role, but but he really really does. Like the slow play. If we get on a podcast, are you guys going to talk about me that way? No. Will you be that complimentary about? No. Really? No. Did you want to? You want me to lie? No, I mean, I'm just I'm genuinely <laughs> you, curious because you're such a complimentary guy. All right. Well, hey, Phil. 
you won't believe this. Josh said, you're the guy, you and your brother run the show. Last time I talked to Josh on the phone yesterday. And yeah, I, do, uh, I do tell I the to, truth. I'm just not super nice like, to their face. <laughs> What's interesting enough is that I think you guys have a better story than we do. Yes, we're in the cigar whiskey business and merch and all that kind of stuff. But you guys use your hands. You guys make things that I can't do. I can't get under a, an engine or do a chassis or whatever. I think that's phenomenal what you guys have created there. And, uh, you know, we're all, all supporters of you guys. Well, possible. I can't afford your cars. You're too expensive for me. But um, we definitely want to get a young car or a truck at one point. Yeah, we started a whiskey business, so eventually we could afford to buy one of your cars. We're hoping maybe one of these days we could maybe catch out the business. We got season. some, we got some plans for that. I think, I think we got some stuff cooking. Well, we, we started a hot rod shop so we could justify the car hobby and addiction and then just call it a business. And then somehow it evolved over the years and eventually sustaining, making a little bit of money. But you know, that's, I, think, I think I tell most people the other day, I, I've always had a, a love for the old muscle cars. The problem is, is that I just can't work on them. And, um, um, and that's, a, that's a bad combination. It's a great thing for us in our business. I mean, we, we, we need guys that are really into them and can't work on them. Yeah, well, you, you found one. <laughs> so the next step, so before we get into the story of how you guys met, what? so tell us about the Army career. So you go in, you're doing you're doing the thing, and, I mean, it's obviously you're pro- you have to progress. You're not, you're not a... Yeah, I, um, I really didn't know um, what direction I wanted to go in the Army. I just knew I was going in. I knew that that I wanted to be in some sort of uh, um, special forces unit or ranger unit. So I found my way into fifth special forces group um, about a year after I got in the army. So I was in a fifth group based out of Fort Bragg, North Carolina, did a couple of years on a, um, on a scuba team there. And, um, uh, and then uh, after about three years or so, I was, uh, I moved over to what they call a SATEM team, which was, Back in the day, a long time ago, before they had uh, precision-guided weapons like cruise missiles and stuff like that, the precision guidance system was a was a man with a pair of boots on. So uh, you would put a nuclear weapon in a backpack, and you'd walk that mother in wherever you wanted to put it. You'd set a timer on it and try to get out and hope that you got out before that thing went off. So um, they were called um, uh, Special Atomic Demolitions Teams. And um, there were about, I think, four of them total in the Army. And um, that, that, dude, uh, that dude didn't smoke, and he walked very softly. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So um, did that, and that was uh, that was one of the coolest bunch of guys that I ever worked with. They were they were just um, um, the all American. If you look up badass in the book, those they were the guys, and, and that was back when you could be in the Army and and um, you know go out and and bar fight on the weekends, come back in on Monday and get the job done. And, and believe me, they did it. And um, um, it was an intimidating thing to be around. Around them. Most of them had been to Vietnam um, and um, they had just legendary stories that you would just hear casually in the team room every day. And I was just uh, captivated by the, by, the, by the people that I worked with there and the experiences that they, that they had. They were just an awesome awesome place to grow up as a young soldier having those people around you they really set the standard for everybody else to follow from that point forward in my army in my army career so um uh, several of them have been sung in in vietnam um there were a couple of guys in the company that that were you know had been awarded the medal of honor in vietnam 
almost everybody there was, you know, either a silver star or better. Um, they were just a super, super bunch of guys. And, um, and uh, I learned, learned the trade of being a soldier from those guys. I'm very blessed that I've been able to do that. Wow. And with all the experience that you've had, and you're talking about the stories that these guys had, what are some of the standouts? I'm sure it's, you know, we could go on all night, but what pops in your mind that is just one of the most iconic stories that's, that's hung with you? Yeah, you know, my first um, my first exposure to an officer of special forces when I, was when I was going to the Q course. And um, the commandant of the, the Q course was uh, short for the special forces qualification course. And uh, the guy that was in charge of that was a guy named uh, Major Bob Howard. His, his full name is Robert Lewis Howard. If you Google this guy, you, you just, I mean, he's the, probably the most highly decorated soldier uh, since World War II. I don't think he was a Medal of Honor winner, nominated for it three times, won it once, um, a couple of distinguished service crosses. But uh, some of the things he did were just, uh, I could go on and on and on and, and spend hours on this podcast talking about it. But, but um, um, there were a couple of funny stories that, it, you know, and, and you can kind of judge the truth of stories when people, uh, other people tell, tell them, and they, yeah. they're not telling them themselves, right? Uh, sounds a lot better, but uh, his, his uh, one of his, uh, teammates from Vietnam told me, he said they, they set in an ambush site one day and they were supposed to capture uh, 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 some guys and they had set up these mines and they were going to uh, blow uh, blow these Claymore mines on a vehicle convoy and um, and then go in and try to capture a survivor, if there were any, and bring him back for interrogation. And so um, the vehicles were rolling through the ambush site and they they hit the clacker on the Claymore and nothing happened. So uh, uh, Bad Bob Howard is what this nickname was uh, from his buddies. Picks up the Claymore mine, gets it working, runs runs behind the vehicle as it's running down the road now, throws it in the back of the truck and, and lights it off while he's running along behind it. <laughs> and, uh, um, uh, and then, uh, of course, the, the rest, I mean, I could go on and on and on, but um, just crazy stories like that. Uh, stories about guys going, you know, hundreds of miles behind the enemy lines in Cambodia or Laos and uh, waking up uh, in the morning and been, been in the middle of a, an enemy patrol base that had moved in overnight with a thousand people around and sitting there for a week until they left Ooh. under under a, under a bush, hoping that they didn't get caught, you know, and um, just the nerve wracking stuff those guys went through. And I think it differs from the modern battlefield in that um, uh, certainly, certainly there are heroes today and there, there's a lot of stress, but there's a lot, there's a difference between going into the jungle with a team of four people and hunting someone who's hunting you than there is, uh, driving up with an overwhelming force with a bunch of vehicles or helicopters and a lot of support. But these guys were basically going out in, in hunter killer teams, um, in Vietnam, um, on their own with very, very little support, whatever they had, they carried on their back and um, they'd go off for these 30 day patrols and then come back. And it was just, to me, that would just be the most nerve wracking kind of mission, but they were awesome, awesome guys. Great guys to learn from. That's nuts. You're hey, not, well, not hey, Norm, no, I'm not. I would like for you to can, hey, Norm, tell you a story about um, how you got into ranger school. Yeah, that's a light, lighter on story. I, I was old guy in the army. And I got in there on a, on a bet on a pistol match. I had a buddy of mine that, that uh, had been in the Rangers, and uh, we were down on the range one day. And um, we used to go back and forth because I was a Green Beret. He was a he was a Ranger, 
And um, he said, I'll tell you what, he goes, if, uh, let's shoot for it. He goes, if, if I win, you go to ranger school. And if you win, I go to, I have to go to a special forces course. And um, of course I went to ranger school. So we know what the results of a shooting match. <laughs> I was already a team leader in a special mission unit when I went. So I was really, I was the old guy of the group. So Tim, at this point in time, he's, he's punching tickets for bad guys. You're punching the keyboard, crunching numbers and stuff. How do your paths cross? Well, first of all, here, this old guy who, what were you were 29 when you were at Ranger school? Yeah. 29 years old. And he ended up being number, how many guys were in it? 300 or something? Uh, I can't remember. Something like that. A couple hundred people. So here's the thing is he's the old guy. He ended up being number one in his class. So that's the reason why you see the dagger on our um, H&Y logo. But that okay. being said, um, what was the question again? What's the, So tell us about the dagger. Tell us what's the significance of the dagger. Well, the, yeah, go ahead, Norm. So that dagger is the uh, Fairburn Sykes dagger that um, was the uh, dagger that was carried by um, special operations units in World War II. And it has been since be- become kind of the uh, symbol of special operations globally. So if you look at... Uh, um, like the emblem or the lo- uh, logos for commandos around the world, like this British Special Air Service, um, uh, Special Forces, uh, our, our Special Forces teams, a lot of the special mission units, they'll have that dagger in their logo. And um, um, But it was the dagger that was also carried by the very first Special Forces unit formed in the U.S., which was the um, first Special Forces uh, Force, or the OSS. It started in Fort William Henry Harrison, um, Montana, and then went to war. It was joint Canadian, American, British force that went. But um, so that dagger is really associated with special forces. The logo is an H and a Y. And we figured, well, you know, we'll put the dagger in there because of our affiliation with with special operations. That's awesome. So you you asked the question, how did we meet? Yes. Interesting uh, is that uh, somebody had asked me, said, do you know Norm Norm Hooten? I said, no, I don't know who Norm Hooten is. Uh, Have you seen Black Hawk Down? No, never saw the movie. Um, and they said, oh, his son's at West Point. I said, well, good. I want to meet this guy. So they came over to the club here and, and, uh, it was Bonnie, his, uh, Nora's wife and his son, Noah, and my wife and I, and this other guy who was introducing us. And we sit there. I looked at Norm and I said, man, I kind of know this guy. I don't know how I know him, but, and you basically say the same thing is that we kind of, you get this little stare at each other and you go like, Hmm, I know this guy. And so then we started going through the story that how I grew up in Corpus Christi. He's from Brackenville, blah, 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 blah. On it. But our common was our two sons were at West Point together. And so um, we kind of go through the story. And then my wife cheers up and says, hey, Norm, have you ever been to this HEB camp at Lakey? He says, I've been there all the t- a lot of times. I used to go there, too. It seemed like that's where we got dumped as kids. We would go to this camp in, uh, near San Antonio. And, uh, and then, of course, to find out Norm's sister went to Baylor. It was all these coincidentals. And then to find out Nora's mom's maiden name is Young. And uh, my dad grew up in Orange, Texas and in Louisiana. And so we just felt like it was almost like this family friendship, wow. whole thing instantaneously. And it was, even though we are so different in a lot of ways, we have a lot of commonalities. And our wives love each other. It's just, it's just crazy how it's just kind of formed. And, uh, uh, hey, so, I'm going to let you guys know, I'm going to butt in, Tim, just for full transparency. Tim, Tim Young invents his own words along the way. So you've got to be able to 
uh, to interpret those <laughs> as you move. There's nothing like, wrong with that. Yeah. I'm, 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 I migrate words. Don't ask him to say Nicaragua or, or Catawata. Uh, <laughs> hey, they all came from somewhere. Somebody made them up to begin with. Well, so. my my takeaway was after after Tim's story about what he was why he went to Baylor was was Norm's sister at Baylor the same time that he was there because I would have that's where your head's going. I would have changed I would have changed that story up a little bit after he's after he's talking about being number one in Ranger school and stuff, you're gonna start talking Oh, he's the one that needs to be worried, not me. I'm just just bring I was bringing it to attention. I never really thought about it. Um, <laughs> Move, moving on. Good, good answer, Jeff. Right. It's a good yeah. answer. So, yeah. Um, so moving on is that so Norm and I became really good friends, and and, um, and we learned we were together smoking and drinking together. Uh, everybody said, where'd you start? I said, we drank Buffalo Trace or Blanton's, or we had these, uh, what, what was it, Monte Cristo White Series that we were smoking together. Yeah. And uh, we just kind of hung out in the back of our our porches and stuff and uh you know either had a fire or something was going it'd be one or two o'clock in the morning and uh one day he says to me he says hey tim i got this 30th or 25th anniversary for god's serpent i gotta speak at and then norm you said well i said hey we should make cigars for the guys um just as a gift for the for the event so the 25th anniversary of gothic serpent was 2018 and we made 300 cigars and we um we um a, a friend of ours from from Cuba um, had had made made them for us, and then we drew the label up ourselves, and and um, had a local printer print it, and we we actually actually applied the bands to the cigars ourselves. I think the night before we left to go up there, and and then we drove up there and uh, passed them out at the event, and then we started getting requests for boxes and. Um, and orders coming in. And my answer was, we just did it as a one-time thing. It was a gift. We didn't really intend to get in the cigar business. Um, but um, months later, we kept getting requests for it. So we we uh, decided we would get into the cigar business. And it would be a good way for us to give back a percentage of the of the returns on it to um, what was then the, the all-ranks fund or the unit scholarship fund. Um, but since then, we've helped other, other um, veterans charities raise money for for their efforts but it started with with a gift uh of you know 300 cigars to the special forces unit for practice ironically enough i said to my wife i said hey we're gonna invest this kind of money into it and she said well, we you are know, you're gonna smoke them <laughs> <laughs> no, we're gonna smoke some of them some of them not all of them yeah. so i mean at that point i i mean I know we got a lot to go into, but I just some stuff just keeps popping up. So, all right, you you had a connection, you had a buddy, you got some the first three hundred done. You applied the stuff, so you got orders in. So the next step is you got to you got to change up the way you're going about things. You need to get into the cigar business, even sure. if you're just starting to doubt. So, what's your next step? You Google how to make cigars. I mean, like I, honestly, I, I want to know the detail of like. Yeah, yeah, no, um, good good question because uh, um, I wasn't. My history of a cigar guy, I have I can trace my whiskey drinking days to back when I was, you know, ten years old and my grandmother used to make it in the barn. But um but I didn't know a lot about cigars. I just knew the what I liked and what I didn't like. But we had we were fortunate enough to be uh located in Central Florida. And Central Florida is kind of the ground zero for the cigar industry in the US. So Tampa, Orlando, there's a big um Cuban expatriate uh population. Uh 
all over Florida, but especially in Tampa. If you guys have ever been down there in Ybor City or something like that, it just there's one cigar maker after another. But we had a um, had several friends that we actually enjoyed cigars with that said, "Hey, we we know people, and we can help you." So uh, we started out um, down in Nicaragua, um, and um, a friend of ours had a, had another cigar business on the side that he was running on his own. He said, "I'll I'll help you guys get up and going." So he handled all the operational stuff that was uh, done down in Nicaragua, the selection of the tobacco, the, the, the boxes, all, all that stuff. We, we designed it in the States. Um, and then we would um, have it uh, uh, have it made, produced down in Nicaragua. And then we would finish it off, like the packaging and stuff when it when it got here. And so the, the short answer is we, have, we knew people that helped us, helped us along the way. Um, uh, Bobby Newman from uh, J.C. Newman Cigars, it's located in Tampa. I think that his company is the oldest uh, standing American cigar company uh, in existence today. Um, awesome, awesome brand and, and really, really just a wonderful guy. He, he helped us and gave us a lot of great advice. So we had mentors, mentors and friends that helped us get started. Um, if we had tried to start from ground zero and do it on our own, we, we would be nowhere near where we're at today. But uh, we had some of the best minds in the business helping us get going. That's so great. ironically enough, at this point, at uh, we started the cigar business, and I end up moving from here. Uh, let you know, my my wife works for Disney, and so we end up moving out to um, Anaheim. Norm calls me up. We only, I was there for about a month or two, and he calls me and he says, "We should get in the whiskey business." I said, "What in the fuck do we know about whiskey except for drinking it?" And he said, "Well, I know you know somebody." Well, unfortunately, I, I know a few people. And so we had a good friend of ours. His name is uh, George Miliotis. He's a master psalm. He's like top 10 out of 200 in the, in the world. And I called him up and he said, man, I love the idea. I'll try it. So interesting enough, I came back from Hong Kong. I met with George and Norm and so forth. And we decided that, yeah, we're going to get into the whiskey business. I don't know what whiskey we're going to get, so forth. So here's here's the, the, the whole LinkedIn uh, plug. So here I was living now. We just moved from California to Hong Kong. And George calls me up and says, Tim, I can't get a rep to call me back. I said, well, why? You're a master song. People will call you back. He says, dude, no one's calling me back. I said, well, which one is it? So I go on LinkedIn. I find the president of MGP. I text him thinking that I got a slim chance this guy's going to return my text. The next day, he says, hey, we got to get on a conference call. I went, well, okay. So I get on a call with him on Wednesday that week. I'm in Hong Kong. He's in Kansas. He said, bottom line, he says, your rep now is the guy in charge of the whole distillery. At that time, it was David Dastic, Dostic, whatever it was. He's the VP there. So we, we were basically one of his few accounts. Um, and uh, we go up there, Norm and I, and I'll let you know, I'm not a spitter. I'm, I, I swallow juice when I'm in there. And, of course, there's, there's our master some. He's spitting everything out. Uh, I think the second row of drinks, uh, Norman and I were really toasty, particularly I was. <laughs> I didn't. I drank everything that was there, and um, and so we decided that you know versus a blend or whatever. And you're saying to yourself, how in the hell did you get in the whiskey business? It was really Norm's push. He said, "Why don't we get in the whiskey business?" I said, "Okay." So he tells me, gives me the the drive. I then go and pursue it and get it done. Um, and it's interesting enough is that we really. You know, where do you get it bottled at? Where do you get it in labels? Where do you where do you get caps and capsules and blah, blah, all that kind of stuff? We had no clue. But then what happens is through the migration of uh, our first sale, we sold our first bottle 
a whiskey, which is the 12 year old um, in the middle of COVID. It was in May. And Norm and I go to this guy. His name is Babish, Babush, something like that. He's an Indian guy. He's a really super good guy. And he has a place called uh, Bevfly. And we go over there and we had this case of whiskey. Now, if you saw our labels, some of our labels back, back then were all done by hand. So some of them were crooked, some were backwards, some were upside down. Okay, <laughs> can you imagine that? Yeah. Collector's so items. We go yeah. in there and uh, Norm says to, let's just call him Bobby. Um, Bobby, listen, if you, if, you don't, if you don't sell it, we'll buy it back from you at retail. Well, within two weeks, how many, how many cases did we sell to him in two weeks? We sold 100 the first weekend because he, he said, I'll buy, I'll buy one case of whiskey. And, um, and, I, and I said, uh, if, you, if you don't sell it by the end of the month, we'll come back and buy it back full retail price. Right. He called us the next morning. And he said, I want to order 50 cases. I sold it. It was immediate last night. And then he sold it in that first weekend 100, 100 cases, which I think was our, our quarterly allotment or quarterly projection from our distributor at the time was that we were going to sell about 100 cases in the first quarter. We sold 100 cases the first weekend. And that was the 12 year that we're drinking right now? That's correct. This is, go ahead. What do you attribute that to, right? So you're a brand new company and you're going into someplace and putting a bottle on the shelf. I take it that nobody knows what it is. You don't have a reputation. The name hasn't been out there. Is that solely the look? They got to be doing tastings or something. There's got to be. Where where does it come from? Is it because it's a 12 year? We know a lot of people who drink whiskey. (laughs) <laughs> and, and they were like, you know, gotcha. all over all over the world. You know, they were saying, "Hey, I, I love it." And they, you know, they knew a little bit about the whiskey that was going to be released. This is a special whiskey. It's, there's, uh, uh, you know, it's comparatively rare compared to, uh, you know, other other whiskeys. It's not a bourbon. It's an American whiskey. It's a light whiskey, um, and it's and it's the aging is what's what's rare. You can't fake that. It's twelve twelve year bottle. But you know, now that same whiskey. Uh, we've been sitting on barrels of it, 16, 17 years old, some of it. So, um, so it's not easy to come by. But uh, Tim knew a lot of people. I had a lot of friends from the army that that uh, said, you know, they, and we had access to online sales through Bethlehem, and it was sold online. And so, um, um, you know, uh, the whiskey business, as Tim might have alluded to earlier, is a, exponentially more complicated than cigars because it's heavily regulated. There's a three tier system. So uh, we, we as producers cannot sell it to anyone. If we do, we are classified as bootleggers. So we have to sell it to a wholesaler, wholesaler um, sells it to a retailer, retailer sells it to the public. And that is, that is the legal system for whiskey. Um, so, um, and like Tim mentioned, um, we were due to release in April or May of that year and COVID hit. And our distributor said, we're not sending any of our sales force out all distribution has come to a screeching halt until we figure out what's going on. And we just couldn't afford to sit on it. So we, we, uh, we had the distribution uh, system set up and in place, but we actually physically went out to, to Bobby and, and, uh, and sold a, started selling whiskey. Nobody else was. Well, I, I think this is absolutely amazing. I'm generally anything that's that high of a corn mash bill, whatever I generally don't gravitate to. Um, but the I 12 guess year you do the 12 year I do the light whiskey. Um, so obviously it's not bourbon, so it's not new oak, new oak barrels. Right. Um, so, 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 uh, I, is that, is that what tames down some of the corn because it's being in a previously used barrel? I don't, I'm not trying to get into the secret sauce. I'm just trying to learn. 
because we're kind of stupid well, on some of this shit. I, I think <laughs> what, what happens is, one, that you avoid some of that heavy char that you would get with a 12-year uh, bourbon. Yeah. Um, and uh, But you still get the, the aging. So you get the, you get the, uh, the uh, uh, flavor profiles from the wood. But the aging really smooths the whiskey out. Um, I, I've tasted some of the three-year light whiskey, and it's like gasoline. Yeah, this to this me. really is really really good. Super, Easy, but that aging really changes. Yeah, very changes drinkable. It. Well, actually, our six year. Uh, so you have the you have the twelve year, and you have what's the other bottle you have out there? The, the Jack. That's the special edition Jack Carr sixteen year. I think that's going to be their next sip. Yeah, I will tell you this is that it's, it stay with the twelve for a moment. Is that uh, when we first went in, they said to us, "Hey, we found two thousand barrels." Now, if you went to MGP and they had these building after building after building. And they found this 12-year, this 12-year of 2,000 uh, barrels of it. And they said, this, and then we fell in love with it. So we ended up buying right now 1,000 barrels of that juice. Now, over time, to call it yielding, you know, you've heard of Devil Share, you've heard of um, uh, Angel Share, or Devil's Cut or whatever. Right, yeah. And what happens is, if you saw some of our older barrels, they're really all black. I mean, essentially, they are drenched with, uh, it's a, a new name, drenched, whatever. Uh, the whiskey itself. And so what happens is, is that um, uh, we said, we're going to get those and we've done well with it. And now we have six year old, we have eight year old, and now we have the 12, we have an eight coming out, coming out here in the next couple months. Uh, we have a ride coming out. We're actually doing a 30th anniversary ride coming out uh, six years, uh, be out in October. Um, but, you know, we continue to grow and, you know, you'd ask, how did this happen? I mean, I'm not a marketing guy. You know, we know a lot of people, right. But, I mean, how do you get people, when you can get people to buy one bottle, how do you get them to buy two, three, four bottles, right? And so what happens is if you, they'll buy on the name, but will they buy the juice? And so we decide that we're not going to put our name on a bottle that's not good juice. And bottom line, we would rather, you know, try to pay more and make less margin. Uh, but it just happened to where things kind of gross. And I tell people, and, and, and people cringe with this, I said, listen, I smoke, I drink, I cuss. But I believe that God has a plan and that we don't know how it all happened. We don't know how the it, it just morphosized. And then now we're in 34 states. Morphosized is another good one. I like that. I'm, <laughs> I'm writing these down. It's the morph <laughs> morphosification told you, told you. process. Yeah, told, you guys, told you guys we're going to learn a whole new language. Uh, <laughs> now, there's something to be said for that about delivering, you know, quality juice, quality product, because like once a month, I'll just buy a wild card bottle, right? I'm a pretty big bourbon whiskey enthusiast. I've got hundreds and hundreds of bottles, but every once in a while, I'll just buy something exclusively on the label, right? This is cool. I've never seen it before. Let's give it a shot. 95% of the time, it's horrible, right? right. So I'm not accustomed. It's a one and done. And, yeah. yeah. So, yeah, it's great to get that initial sale, which you nail that with the logo, the marketing, the <laughs> bottle shape and all that, but delivering a quality product, that's what... Oh, it's it's interesting too because back. timing wise, like you said, things just happen. Timing wise, from the outside looking in, it could not have happened at a better time because the bourbon, uh, for the most part, the bourbon world, the whiskey world, whiskey enthusiasts, that that big marketing hype of the big time players or whatever, that stuff has gotten old to guys that have been in it for a while, and they're they're searching it. They're not believing that shit anymore. And they're they're actively searching out where it doesn't 
it's not just about price. It's not just about name. It doesn't have to come from these places. There's so many craft guys out there that if you find them, that's doing the right set. So you coming on, not only with a great name, not only knowing a few people, but having a quality product where people are like, holy shit, this is actually really, really good. You're not making excuses for it. It's not like because it's not a marketing gimmick. Yeah, exactly. Because every you've got all these special niche groups or whatever. So you're gonna have you're gonna appeal to the operator community. You're gonna appeal to the special forces. You're gonna appeal to the military. You know, and those guys are gonna get it. We've seen that happen so many different times. And the guys they buy it because they wanna they wanna support their community. But then when they're drinking it or whatever, sometimes they're like, man, this. I mean, I'm glad it going to a good cause, but this is not exactly what I'm going to be drinking all the time, you know? So when you do that, you get those guys, and then you actually deliver them something that they would like to drink. That's how it happens. That's Because it's the fucking product at the end of the day. But, you know, everybody says, you must be a military brand. Listen, we sell half of our product to non-military people because people believe in what we do. I mean, first of all, I'll let you know, we have no employees. We have, well, actually, we have one employee, maybe two employees now. After going being in business, uh, now we're going to be five years in the uh, cigar business by August, and uh, we've now had two employees. Norm and I don't take any money off the company at all. Uh, we give, we put back into the product, and then uh, we just opened our very first warehouse for our cigars uh, just recently. And um, I'm cheap. I mean, my wife won't tell you I'm not cheap, but when it comes to everything, I don't like spending money. And uh, essentially, but we do the best we can. The bottles, the labels, and so forth have to a, be quality. Phenomenal. Norm, what are you drink? You're drinking out of the white bottle. What's the white bottle? So that's our 15-year, um, uh, 125 proof. One of, my, one of my favorites. I got to go with a little ice cube in that, though. I, the 92 proof is perfect sipping whiskey. That uh, 125 proof. It's a little spicy. So can we, can we get into the 16-year now? Is it, is it time? I want to tr- I want to try some of the higher proof. I got to get through this. Yeah, I'm, I'm enjoying this. I'm taking it a little slow, Josh. It's really good. It's very good. One question I got for yeah, you I'm guys: just... how do you how do you plan to grow and scale the business when you're kind of I don't want to say landlocked, but you're you know there's only so much 15 year, 12 year, eight year bourbon available. How do you how do you plan to grow the business when your supply is limited? I'm gonna let Tim Young. Uh... Tim Young, elaborate on that. I'm going to defer to you, Tim, on that one. Well, I'll tell you this. First of all, I have this, I, I'm, I'm an Excel spreadsheet kind of guy, right? I have everything laid out. How many, what's he yielding on a barrel, so forth, going through. You and Phil we, get along great. This is Excel <laughs> Yoda over here. <laughs> oh, who is? Phil, Phil. is. I, I do make it do a lot of things it shouldn't. Exactly. So <laughs> what happens, well, of course, and um, it, it, this is how people believe in us. It, it's funny, it's that, our, um, our CFO of our company now, who doesn't get paid, gave us an investment into our company. He's a partner in a, an accounting firm here in, in town, a very large one. When you get people who invest in you that want to work for you for free, that already tells you one thing. Number two is, is that when I start looking at longevity of our, our brand, you know, we could right now we're buying stuff from six year, eight year, let them age up. We're using some of the six, but I got plenty. Of, we have we have plenty of it. Um, but our longevity is not only building the brand itself, but making sure we have enough juice. Now, you you know, you, there's other guys out there we won't mention who went out and just sold an eight-year. And then all at once, they ran out. And so now they come out with a, uh, what do you call it, doesn't have a year on it. We learn from their mistakes. We look at what everybody else has done and said, why did they fail? Why have they been doing it for 10 years and they've done less in, in revenue than we have? Well, because we put our money back into the company. 
I would say we live to work versus work to live. And so what happens is we take every opportunity. We take a lot, we take a lot some risk in buying barrels and stuff. But at the end of the day, we know those barrels are worth a lot of money if we nothing happened. But, you know, it's interesting is that people say, well, how much juice do you have? I said, I got enough to last at least five to seven years right now. And they go like, you got to be kidding. People are calling us to buy our barrels. And I said, no, they're not for sale because they can't get it. The other thing is we have a wonderful, wonderful relationship with, sorry, is that uh, we have a wonderful relationship with MGP. Um, they, I just talked to them twice today. We're always on calls with them and we're always talking about other juice that we might be potentially want to buy. Um, it's this point about also loyalty. You know, we have a loyalty of our suppliers. And I guess you guys would have the same thing in your business. You have people supply you stuff and you stay with them thick and thin and make sure it works with that. You know, I try to find different costs. Now, I will tell you, there's one interesting guy that we use. Uh, it's called Paul. His name is Paul Lux. He is uh, from the Luxco family, and uh, he does all our bottling in Cincinnati. And I talked to him twice today, usually, and we talk about how much juice we have and how much bottling, what we need to do here and there, whatever. Uh, well, how would you find, find these bonds that they not only become just our vendor, they become our friends, they become family. And my wife says, Tim, stop saying family because it sounds kind of mafia-like, right? And I went, well. It's the truth. It's Whatever you it's, want to call it, you call it. Making I mean, liquor we, and selling cigars, talking about family. It, it doesn't but, sound mobsterish <laughs> at all to me. It is, it is family. We, do, we have the same mentality, I mean, with all of our customers, with all of our vendors. Um, it, is, it's, it is about the relationships, and I know that's probably cliche and it's been used too many times, but it honestly is about the relationships. That's how everything is done, and that's how you – that's how everybody stays successful. We stay successful. Our customers stay successful. Our vendors stay successful is because of that relationship. And you're saying the same exact thing. Well, it's interesting enough. You know, we um, during the COVID, which is 2019, wasn't it? 2020. Yeah. Great um, idea to launch a new business, by the way, too. I just wanted to throw that yeah. out there. Everybody the was, time yeah, yeah. Everyone was staying home and drinking. The drinking part, the whiskey part was a great <laughs> idea. Well, I guess the cigars, too. Well, here's interesting enough is that we got a call from somebody about wanting our one four bottles or stuff and they want to put it in a movie and we're like going yeah yeah okay great so I, I said i know how that works i've been in that business a little bit we signed this little waiver thing and there was a working title and i said fine we'll send you four bottles of course they called me back and they said hey you're supposed to send empty bottles i said well you need to specify i don't have empty bottles i want to have full bottles pour them up drink them. so we ended up sending it and they actually poured it out and so forth so if you saw the the show terminal list with chris pratt uh first you know and we didn't even know it was that movie we really didn't know hmm. it could happen it might not happen and that happened right in the middle of covid where we were still selling i think we sold in the first year during covid 954 cases and uh so we kind of forgot about it thinking that oh well we just sent a guy for for bottles and hopefully they loved it um then of course you know terminal list came out last year and we got a call what a couple probably <laughs> a couple of weeks before um uh, the show came out and they said, Hey, you need to watch the first episode. We were like going, yeah, yeah, yeah. Right. So a few of the guys said, dude, you need to start watching this. I hadn't started watching it cause I wasn't that interested, but, um, but cause I didn't really know anything about it. And, um, started watching. I'm going, Holy shit. You know, Chris is on there saying, have a hooting young on me. Yep. And then his email address has hooting young on it. So it starts off hooting young at some protron, whatever it is. We didn't know anything about that. 
It didn't cost a dime. We didn't charge them. We didn't, we just come with the flow, right? So you remember how things, we just don't know how things happen. They just happen, right? Of course, we had to bump in it. And of course, then we became a big supporter. We're, not, we're big, we love Jet Car um, and so forth. And what you now have a ball on your table is because of that show and how much he supports Hooten Young. And so we don't know how it happens. And, and uh, it just, I'll tell you, you, you go to an event and you meet 20 people and two of those people want to either invest or want to be part of you or try to sell your stuff or whatever. And it's just weird how that happens. And, uh, and we, and I'll tell you this, we believe in our company is all about integrity. And, and so we have nothing to hide. We tell everybody, listen, if you want to see our financials, they're all open. We don't have anything to hide. Right. And so it kind of works great that way. We don't have any big stories to tell or not tell you the truth because it is what it is. Right. Um, so we kind of migrated through that. Um, now, you know, Jack's doing, did another book and they're doing another show with Terminalist and part two, whatever. And uh, hopefully we make it in that. Now we have the Jack Harbottle. And uh, Jack reached out to us about doing it and should open that up. Um, did Jack pick yeah. this out? Did he pick this? this well, out? He, was kind of, he was determined uh, that he wanted the our older stuff. Now, that bottle right there in your hand retails about 160 uh, within two weeks, we sold 6,000 bottles. Wow. Damn, nice. Uh, we have another six coming out in the next couple of weeks. That was quite so, the, uh, that was quite the forethought to have that many bottles of a, for that price point, that old, that high proof or whatever. That's a, but like you said, you've you got to do what you got to do and you've got the faith in the brand. You've got the faith in Jack Carr specifically. It yep. is crazy how those things, you just don't, the things that you believe and plan and be like, this is going to be an absolute home run. Sometimes they are, sometimes they aren't. But the ones that you don't even plan on, that just... Generally, when you, like, wholeheartedly believe in it and apply yourself, like, 100%, it becomes successful. If you oh, truly believe yeah. it... The you'll, business you'll, Yeah, itself, you'll make yeah. it happen, you know? Well, just, you know, honestly, hey, Jer, I mean, it's a point where we, um, uh, we do this as a hobby. We do this for Norman and I have a little bit of fun, something to do, hang out together, smoke and drink. Today is we're we're large. We're actually in the top 20% of this market in our whiskey, which people have been in the business for 10, 20 years, have never reached $2 million in revenue. That's phenomenal. And, and so I don't know how we did it, but we did it. Now, going back to this, you know, you had um, uh, Joe Rogan on your show, last, was it last week? And uh, one thing about Joe, I don't know if you saw that podcast with uh, Jack Carr. I did. Uh, we, we did a special bottle, which the, the box we sell is called the Operator. Uh, that'll be coming out in July. And, uh, of course, the box that was made for Jack and for Joe, uh, that would probably be a $10,000 box because it was specially made for them. I don't even have one, so or Norm. So uh, they, they were very lucky, and uh, we weren't involved with that makeup. But – uh, of course, they also drank the Jack Carr bottle, and it was it was great to see uh, Joe look at the bottle and take a long time looking at it. Um, uh, and I, I was so glad he was on your show. Uh, he's a lot. Of, he's a really funny guy, and uh, uh, I'm glad we were able to be on the show. Well, this has been first of all, this is this is really good, great fucking flavor. Um, not at all what I was expecting proof wise. Uh, it's got some heat to it, but what, it doesn't what is have the proof on that? one twenty five. I think. Yep. Yeah, you know, if you put a little drop of water in there or a little small cube, it changes the whole profile. 
and uh, it's it's really good stuff, dude. The uh, this has been all about feel good. This is all about success. This is all about powering through. Everything about this, there had to be times where you're looking at each other, being like, "What the fuck did we do?" Um, <laughs> I mean, there has to be those times when you're doing that. I mean, from supply chain issues to getting bottlers to do the thing. It, I mean, if it is, correct me if I'm wrong, but there had to be those times that were hurdles to overcome. Obviously, you've overcome them, but... I mean, it those... hasn't just been all feel-good on our end. We've, we've faced those times. I thought it's all been... Oh, yeah. <laughs> I mean, of course, on our end, yeah. We've never had a hurdle to overcome or, you know, even a discussion to, to, to solve a problem. But, yeah, I mean, that's, I think, the, the more important thing is the perseverance and then being able to overcome those. And I just, it's interesting to know one from this business, we have a lot of automotive guys on there and you can kind of relate. You can talk about, Oh yeah, we well, can't get these. And during COVID we were doing this or stuff like that. But from this, from this side of the business or your side of the business, an industry that we're not super familiar with, I'd like to know going through that time, what were, if there was any potential hurdles or problems or something that you absolutely, Again, you guys were new to this business, so you're learning along as you go along. There had to be that thing of like, nobody told us about this. What are we going to do? If you well, start off wearing a nuclear weapon oh, on your backpack and walking it into it, oh yeah, I'm sure he wasn't scared about it. Yeah. Everything's easier <laughs> yeah. after that, right? Yeah. yeah, no, I actually was scared. <laughs> I, I, I think it's important to note that uh, when Tim and I got started, we we I knew. I mean, I I had um, Tim had certainly been a lot more involved in business stuff than I had, but I'd been close enough to 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 it to realize that people that are best friends go into business with each other and end up killing each other by the time it's over with. And they can't stand, they won't talk to each other. And so I told Tim early on, and we agreed that, hey, look, no matter what happens, um, you know, sink or swim, we're going to come through this. We're going to be friends in the end. Well, Tim and, and knew who he's dealing with, so like he's not going to win that battle, right? Yeah, no. <laughs> if it comes to fisticuffs or you know weapons come out, dude, you're you're winning that one. Right? It, I, I have lost friends in business dealings before. So, and I, and I look back on it and I go, was it, it was never really worth it to begin with. I would much rather have the friend than sure. they have the animosity. So, so we made that agreement early on and we stuck with it now, but there's been times where I, I wanted to absolutely choke Tim Young. And, and I'm sure he could say the same thing, same thing about me. In fact, we've had a couple of those stare downs where, you know, it was like, Hey, let's, uh, Take your shit off. Let's go behind the building and, and sort this out. But, uh, uh, well, I think last time you said that to me, I said, "Let me go get my AR and, and we'll take care of it from there." I, I'm not going into. I'm not going to battle with them without something in my hand. There ain't no such no. thing as a fair fight. You always got to take the advantage. Oh yeah, weaponize, weaponize early. Yes. Right. Exactly. <laughs> Put something in your hands, but uh, but uh, but no. And Tim's dealt with more of the frustrations in the business side of it, but I'm going to let him elaborate on it. But I think our biggest problem is staying ahead of the capital curve because. You're buying whiskey in advance. You're paying all the expenses up front, and you may not see a return on it for a while. Yeah. So, so you you know being able to manage the cash flows and stuff like that is is always a challenge. And I think that's with any business, but particularly with with something like whiskey. And I'll I'll let Tim talk a little more about that. You know, Norm, you hit it right on the head. Is that uh, we grew last year 141 percent over year over year from 2020. What it was last year, 22 from 21. This year we're about 150 percent over last year. And so you're right. It's capital intensive. You have to buy the juice. You got to make sure longevity that you have it there. So our biggest issue has been on investment or line of credits. How do you get, how do you get a company with a new, brand new company's been since a whiskey for three years? How do you get a three or four million dollar line of credit? Um, 
So we've we now have a stat. We're now hopefully we've established that. Hopefully we'll close our deal on next week. But I will tell you that's been the biggest hurdle. Then you know the, here's the fun thing. Uh, ironic enough is, so uh, we were talking to our, our company RNDC. So we actually use a national dis- distribution channel with Republic National. Uh, we have uh, Blue Ridge, I mean Breakthrough out in California and so forth. Great distributors. So one thing is about distributors are they sandbag everything. They'll tell you, hey, we only need 500 cases or 100 cases. Every year, we're triple of what they say, right? And so how do I plan that? Uh, is doing the operation side. And one is glass. Last year, there was no glass. I had the foresight. I don't know why I thought of this because I was living in China. I guess I heard this. By glass, there was not enough glass. But for some reason, I bought two containers worth of glass, and it costs us sixty thousand bucks. Well, sixty thousand is a lot of money to put in just in glass. So then, what happened was um, uh, we bought, we had those in, in inventory, and then we have another another couple of containers worth. And everybody said, "I'm ahead. I'm trying to get ahead of the story before it happens. We might have paid a little bit more, too much on the glass, but what happens? We have it. I have it in the house to do it. Uh, but Norma's right on point is that it takes capital." And uh, that's our, our biggest hurdle. So that every quarter, I'm always looking for, okay, where am I going to get my NEF half, half a million dollars? Uh, is it coming out of our pockets or is it I got to go find somebody with it? And luckily so far, we've made every tranche that we need to make on since I'm buying the barrels. Um, it's scary. Um, and Norm's heard my frustration. Uh, but uh, for some reason, it always appears. It always works. And so you, you kind of have to believe in your product which we do. We believe in ourselves because we know we can do it. Um, and other people believe in us also. So it's, um, uh, other than that, we just don't have that big of an issue. What's issue. the next, what's the next stepping stone or to help alleviate that challenge, the capital challenge? Is it uh, better distribution? How many States are you in now? Is it more States, more mainstream? What's the, I know you're obviously the growth is there. You're talking about being up, you know, 150%. You're going, you're, the growth is there. But identifying those next steps, is it distrib- distributorship? Is it overcoming, you know, the stigma uh, from the, the big bourbon? What is it? So our biggest thing is marketing. So our next step is, in, in regards to the financial need, is building our marketing team. You know, we've always bootstrapped this thing all the way through, meaning that Norma and I would go to events. Uh, we would go to, uh, like, uh, uh, Warner Robins in, in Georgia and there would be a line of people for us to sign bottles. Be honest with you, it's, it's so weird to sign stuff because I've only signed checks. Um, <laughs> so uh, it was interesting to sign. It, it, we went to one event with my older son, and and I'm signing bottles. And somebody asked him to sign something. He says, "Dad, someone asked me to sign a bottle." I said, "Sign, Would you- sign it. Sign, sign it. it. That'd yeah. be the rare one. <laughs> I got the son. Yeah, yeah." Which doesn't mean anything. He's worthless anyway. No, he's great. <laughs> I, love my, I love my boys. Uh, but that being said, is that, you know, you just got to believe in your product and you got to just move move ahead. Um, How many now, Tim? We're in 34 states. Uh, we sell in 34 states, I can say. Um, if Courtney was here, we have a lady, her name is Courtney. And I would tell you this, we thank God that we found Courtney. She's our marketing uh, head. Uh, you, uh, there was a story where we really don't have titles at our company. We just don't 
we're in together as a team. We're a group. We're whatever. Everybody has their line of responsibility. Some of those lines kind of migrate to other people's lines. And then I had to come in and say, Hey, stay in your lane. Um, and so it is, um, uh, but without Courtney, I don't think we've gotten this far, but she's been handling all our, um, uh, designs and all that, was, that kind of stuff. That was the next people. question is who's behind all of this. Cause the branding is amazing. It's top notch. It just so looks you, awesome. Yeah. So it's funny is because my wife has a huge uh, marketing department and I told my wife, you cannot hire Courtney. Uh, <laughs> I'll be, you'll be sleeping in another room. Better benefits, uh, higher salary. Yeah. She's, yeah, you know, she's got the eye. <laughs> But you know, but one thing is that she has been a team player. She knows that we've been struggling regards to getting more capital in, and she knows that we we were very upfront with her and everything. So it's uh, and she's 29 years old and she just had a baby. So we're we include Sophia as one of our our children of our family in Hooten Young, and uh, we just enjoy having them around. We also just hired another lady named Allison Trainer who handles our cigar division, and she lives in Austin, Texas, and uh, she's doing super. Um, I'm sure there's other folks. We have a couple of the people that work in the warehouse now, but honestly, we're, we don't have many people. And, uh, but we need to grow that department. We need to grow market. We need boots on the ground. And uh, that's what we're working on. Uh, but, uh, and hopefully within another year from now, we're going to talk and uh, hopefully we're double the size we are now or triple. That's awesome. I mean, the trajectory you got, it seems to be pretty nailed on the marketing side. It's Jack Carr, Joe Rogan, Oil and Whiskey Podcast. I think you did the yeah, we're right did it. Right. You did it wrong. I think you did the. <laughs> they just peaked. They absolutely peaked. Right? Yeah, and we're oh, on yeah. yeah, that's. I was just trying Wait, to wonder I, what do we need to do to get an Oil and Whiskey logo and on a, and we need to we need to pick a whiskey out. Jack Gar got to pick a whiskey out. We need to pick a whiskey. I think out. we got to. Well, hey Josh, I told more you decorated career. I said that we. Uh, I already talked to Paul Lux. We're going to come up with a few different things for you guys, so you guys can pick your yours. And it might be a blend. It could be a different one. We're just going to do a blind test, about five or six different bottles, uh, tasting bottles. And we're going to sit down with you up there and say, hey, what do you like? You don't like any of these? We'll find five more. We, you, and, this is breaking news right here on the podcast for all the listeners that, a, that an oil and whiskey Hooten Young special edition collaboration is coming. At, so, at some point. At some soon. point. Yeah. Or do we don't? Yeah. Right now, we don't know when this is going to air, so it could be at any point in time. <laughs> I mean, yeah. I think we're excited about it. Oh, we are too. We're, realistically, like our experience, our level of bourbon consumption and enjoyment, we're probably the core demographic, right? Like we're not wildly sophisticated, over the top. We bourbon, don't know tasting notes, bourbon drinkers, but we're very right. good at knowing what's just good, what you like, yeah. what what generally people like, right? We have, we have. This is great. You should buy it. Don't fucking this, touch it. Don't buy it. It's bad. <laughs> or yeah, it's all right. That's basically that. We don't have, yeah. you know, notes of cinnamon and, you know, Santa Claus's toes, you know, stuff like that. We don't have any of that type of descriptive nature and the, but we know you know, good. sommelier's uh, tongue. We just have, you, like yeah. you said at the beginning, I, I drink what I like and I smoke what I like. Yep. And no, I, I promise you this. Uh, this is the rule we live by. There's nothing that would embarrass me more than to sit down with a bottle of my whiskey with friends, open it up, and go, hey, guys, have some whiskey, and look at them look at me and go, this shit sucks. Uh, <laughs> um, so so uh, whatever we do is going to be awesome because, I, you know, uh, uh, we want you guys to have that same experience. And uh, we won't drink it. We don't put it in a bottle. And um, 
uh, but we're excited about it. And um, it's going to be, be fun to collaborate with you guys. I think so. Hey, be. Jerry, you said you had a lot of whiskey bottles, correct? Yeah. Yeah. yeah I've got quite the collection. Well, I must have about 400 different whiskeys upstairs. Yeah. Yeah. I'm about right there with it, you. So it's interesting is that I was, um, had the CFO for Disney at the house uh, the other day, and we were, he just got promoted to be the CFO for the whole company. And he, I said, hey, let's, let's go get my 15-year-old pappy out. Sure. And he looks at me, he says, I don't want it. And I said, what do you mean I don't want it? It's one of my most expensive bottles I got here. He goes, you know, Tim, I just want a hoot and young. And I said, Hell holy yeah. crap, you could have eight. This guy's making a ton of money, but he wants ours. And so it's interesting when you, get, you when people some start, start coming over here and they go, I said, hey, what do you guys want? You can have anything you want here. And they go, nah, I don't want the Hoot and Young stuff. And, I, and I'm just telling you, this is how it works. And I'm like, okay. So I can't even get rid of my bottles because no one wants to drink that stuff. They just want to drink Hoot and Young, and I keep running out. I moved to a warehouse, had to move it back. And I would tell you, because it, I keep running out. And uh, so hopefully uh, when we make something for you guys, it, it blends something together and do the marketing stuff on it. It's going to look really good. And and Courtney's already working on something already with uh, the guys from Ironclad. Um, uh, and I got to tell you one thing about Ironclad. They have been a super, super plus for us. Um, I guess they work with you guys on the podcast stuff. Yeah, oh, they are. We couldn't. We this. We sit down and do this. Everything else that happens is They make Ironclad. us look good. Yeah. Yeah, that Jeremy over there, he's an all right dude. He's okay. Yeah, he yeah, he's got a few ideas. <laughs> The, uh, I will say, I know you probably have already tried this. We've talked earlier. You guys know that I'm from Alabama, so I do some redneck shit. Uh, a little bit of 16-year and a splash of 12-year together. You're already over here mixing stuff Oh, up. man. That is something that is really, really damn good. They both are great, but that, that little bit of 12-year taming that 16-year without watering it down. I'm not a big ice cube or adding water to it. I know that guys do that. I just, I just can't. No, I don't do it either. But yeah, you add, but but the funny thing is, man, I hate to I hate to rain on your parade, but if you put that ninety two proof in that uh that uh one twenty five, you just added water to it. Well, I, yeah, I know that, but I feel like I'm adding whiskey. Yeah, no, yeah, I know yeah, that, I know what I'm doing. I know what I'm doing. It's wa- it's brown water in a fancier bottle. So what part of Alabama are you from? Uh, Birmingham. My daughter's going to the University of Alabama right now. My daughter's going there as well. She's uh, just finished her just finished her freshman year. Okay, my daughter's just starting. Uh, just finished her uh, sophomore year, so she's a year ahead of her. Yeah, my uh, she finished up a good year. Dean's Dean's list both semesters and uh, still managed to party every night. So yeah, I'm, I'm with you. Man. Or partied every night and still managed to. Do, I don't know which one was yeah. easier to, to. You were on a different Dean's list, weren't you? I was, uh, yeah, I was on the, I was on the come to the Dean's office. Uh, you, I'm not telling you that you're kicked out, but I'm strongly requesting that you don't return back to (laughs) this Bible college next year. Oh, she's roll tide. Roll tide. Roll tide. I got to tell you, I'm, I'm so stoked to come out with something that is like the ultimate drinker, because just like you said, you know, Josh, you come over all the time. We hang out, we drink, whiskey and i find myself i've got you know just like you probably 400 bottles of whiskey sitting on the shelf and every time you go to pour one you sit there and you look through them all and you're like hmm, you look up in the cabinets at the rare stuff you look down at the stuff you generally drink and it's always like you grab like a weller special reserve right yeah or something a that's 45 dollar yeah. bottle of bourbon because it's great 
And that's I want to because rec- he's over and you don't want to give him the good stuff. Yeah, that, yeah, that too. <laughs> Probably. <laughs> but you want that go-to bottle, right? That you know you can replace it right? when you kill it, when you get some buddies over. And just like you said, uh, it, it's not insulting when they say it, it sucks, this is horrible. They usually don't say that, they just don't drink it. You know? That's the most embarrassing. Yeah, when it, when, yeah. at the end of the when you, when you pour, you, like, don't want, you don't want that. It's bad right. <laughs> yeah. so what's, your, what's your favorite? Other than Hooten and Young, what's your favorite right now? Oh, man. What have we been going through? Um, I think, you were drinking Weller the other day, weren't you? We were drinking Weller yeah. the other day. We've gone through pretty much everything. Weller. Uh, know, one of the new ones that's pretty, that's a standout is that Kentucky Par. That was kind of a oh yeah, that's a funky little it's one. It's a 12-year. I think generally, uh, unanimously, I think we all like the Old Forester birthday bourbon, which is Old Forester nineteen twenty. Man, 1920? That's, that's my. Yeah. You're talking about the birthday? Yeah. Yeah, the birthdays. I, I can't. Even, I can't even get one. Oh really? The birthdays. Have you had a birthday before? Dude, I'm making birthdays what? and cokes over here. Like I mean, <laughs> you're not. You're not. <laughs> <laughs> we'll have to uh, when. When you come up, we're gonna have to spend some cool. time. We're gonna do. We're gonna get to do a get together. We'll we'll have some birthday. Um, but we did a, one of the the other day. We did a smoke wagon that yeah, was pretty good. The, uh, the uncut, the younger was actually pretty good. Um, the twelve the twelve year stuff is generally what we always gravitate to. A weed a more weeded twelve year seems like every single time it's it's a unanimous favorite. Um, a sure. weeded mash bill with a with a twelve year. There's a Calumet that's a uh, eight-year blended, eight-year and a fifteen-year blend. Um, that's a for the price point. That's a phenomenal bottle. It's really good. I mean, I guess that uh, I think that's what a sixty-nine yeah. something dollar, sixty-nine dollars, fifty-nine to sixty-nine yeah. bucks. I mean, you take so, an eight-year and a fifteen-year and blend it together. It's kind of like the twelve. Is where we're, where we like, if you do the math, something yeah. like that. Yeah. Yeah, so, you know, Phil and Jer, is that one thing we do is when we look at stuff, we look at price points. What do we want to sell it for? What is our demographics of who you're selling it to? And so uh, we've had an issue with regards to selling bottles at 70 up to 160 bucks. Sure. I wouldn't say it's been an issue. It's been more so we don't hit a core group of 35 to 45. And most of us guys are older. I'm actually one of the youngest ones, and uh, Norm's old a lot older than I am, and uh, I try to point that out because I'm better looking. And uh, just so like we, 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 you better, you're better, you're more fit. So, well, well, Phil, you're the finance guy, right? Yeah, yeah. yeah so you understand it will go through and find out all the demographics and find out what's going to take, how much loss is going to be in that bottle, what's our margin going to be on that bottle, all that kind of stuff. Um, I just like this Excel spreadsheet, which you'll see. And you'll go through it and you go like, this is exactly what we're looking for. And the thing is, where are we going to reach out to? So what we'd like to do, and one thing we didn't do with Jack Carr, Jack Carr's bottle, since it was so high priced, is that we put it to our speakeasy group out of uh, D.C. and uh, California. And uh, because they were selling so fast is that the states can't even get it. Right. And we only did a limited number of 30,000 bottles with you guys. We'd probably like to do a, a, a blend, a, a whiskey that is perpetual, meaning that as long as we have it, we do it and get it done. And so it's, it's, it's going to be a fun uh, a deal. Another thing that Jack did, we're doing coming out with a Jack Carr uh, cigar as well. And uh, we already did the design on it. We have a cigar being made already for it uh, with you guys. Same thing. And, uh, and we, we've been making. We definitely some- need to learn more about the cigar stuff um, because we. We smoked a decent amount of cigars, but 
every time we do it, it's in a fun hangout. We're having fun type of environment. And I, I like some, and then there's sometimes I don't like them, but I can never remember the ones that I'd like when it's time to purchase a cigar. Yeah. I mean, except I remember those, those were all you remember back in the day is drying those suckers out and, you know, well, that's <laughs> no, that's a different different type different of cigar. cigar. All right, yeah. different. Well, we're we're fortunate to have a we have a great consultant, Matt Saxton, great customer of ours, buddy. He's a Avid big uh, whiskey and cigar smoker. aficionado. Yeah, yeah. So he's yeah. Well, when we get together, I'll bring about uh, ten different samples uh, packages, and we'll come up and we'll smoke a few of those. Where does the, the Paladin series fit in your line, as far as like? I don't even know how they, is it like robust or dark light or strong or, or, or what? Where does that land? Uh, medium. Okay. Medium. Yeah, well, it's, it's a mild, mild to medium. And it was designed for, uh, you know, for uh, a broader, you know, I don't, I'm a, I'm a mild to medium guy. I don't like the really robust cigars that give you a, give you a headache. But um, um, it's a, a great cigar, mild to medium profile on but the paladin, that's what we call it, the paladin. And the interesting thing is, is that we try to narrow our our brand is in the military naming, right? Uh, so what happens is on the paladin, that's probably our, it is our cheapest cigar. We sell it; they sell it retail for eight dollars because when we met with Bobby Newman about what a year or two ago, Norm, that yep. um, he said you guys need to come out with a cheaper cigar because the soldier can't afford it. And we said, you know, you're, you know, Norris said, man, he's Great so point. right. We, we need to kind of get where a soldier can buy a Hoot and Young and not feel like he just broke them. And so um, it was, that was actually started with Norm and Bobby Newman. And, um, and we came out with that. And that's our lowest margin deal. It's $8, but it's still a hand rolled cigar. And it's a really good cigar. People smoke it. Um, and actually at one of the local stores here, Corona's, uh, that's their number one seller right now. And uh, I, I said, well, maybe we missed our mark. Maybe we should be doing lesser price, maybe lesser margin cigars. And so we're kind of doing a variety of that. Uh, we live and learn. People have been doing this, this business for hundreds of, you know, hundreds of years. I mean, these guys know cigars, um, but people tend to like our cigars. Have you guys seen the uh, Maduce? I've seen it. I haven't smoked one. That's a, that's a cool looking cigar and a great fucking name. Awesome. Yeah, for, good name. for example, on that one, so my son was flying. I mean, Norm could take him on his side, but it became a little entwined where, so my son was flying Blackhawks. And uh, so uh, behind him, he has 250 cows. And then Norm brought his mother of all guns. Well, it was kind of like this come together. And then I think Norm came up with another friend of ours named Mark Taylor, who's part of the company. Uh, and his son uh, came up with doing this bot ammo can, uh, ammo box. It's made out of wood. And it is phenomenal so another thing that we did at our company a little different than majority of the companies out there we have just shy of 50 trademarks and two design patents and uh that's the business side of me versus you know i'm just a you know trying to sell cigars uh so know that our worth is driven by how many barrels we have and how many trademarks we will look at both of those and so uh we're really big into that that deal as well on the business side how important is that and how quickly should you do that, and when should you do it? Uh, because you guys have got obviously a variety of bottles, variety of cigars. You got a lot of products. When is the time to be like, I'm patenting that this is getting trademarked, or is it just a blanket policy across the board? Well, we trademark, and when Norm comes up with a name, I trademark it. 
and and sometimes we don't we, we don't haven't used them yet. We're putting them on hold. Uh, but you know the thing is is that if you don't trademark those names um, quick, uh, somebody else is going to get it. So we do it immediately. And we have a guy down in uh, name is Mike Dixon from uh, uh, Greenberg that does all that stuff for us. And uh, have you had we just to, get one. have you had to enforce any of that stuff? No, because I send Norm to him. <laughs> the ultimate enforcement. Yep. I can uh, send a lawyer. Yeah. But, or you can just I stop doing it. it. I, I don't well, we go, back, go back to that Paladin cigar. It, it was really, um, you know, I was, I was a non-com in the army. And, and um, so I, I know what it's like to be a private making $383 a month, you know, back, back when I was in the army. And it, and it just broke my heart to hear from my sons because, you know, Tim's sons in the army. I got two sons in the army. And to hear from them, hey, man, you know, it's awesome stuff, but none of our guys can can buy this stuff because it's just this is this is uh, way, way, way beyond what a non-com can afford. And so when we went to the to the drawing board with a palette, we said we don't want to cut any quality on the cigar. We want to cut cost on it, even if we shave margins down to our bare, bare minimum. Uh, to fund the project, and that's what we did. So we really, the, the Paladin is a loss of year for us. It, it really just uh, um, gives uh, gives us the ability to provide a hand rolled, handmade cigar, a high quality cigar to the people that are really most important to us. And um, so that's 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 kind of the, the origin and the genesis of the Paladin series. That's pretty cool. Do you do you guys do any? Uh, I don't even know how you'd be able to track it if you're going through that many wholesaler and retailer, but kind of a, you know, use that to get people in the door to then step them up to the higher end products? Is there like a, a gateway? Uh, yeah, gateway drug, if you will. <laughs> yeah, I, I think that, um, that uh, you know, a young soldier, a young a young person that maybe doesn't have the ability to go out and drop a couple hundred bucks on a box of cigars and go in and, uh, and start out with that cigar. And, and man, that cigar, I have guys that come in and have a lot of money that will go right to that cigar. That's the favorite cigar. So it's not a, it's not a cheap cigar. Um, it's a high quality cigar at a, at a lower cost, but, but there are people that can afford to buy any cigar they want to buy and walk in and pick that palate up every time. Um, but I think that, that uh, people, you know, that will start out with that. They'll, as they progress, they get older in life to make more money or whatever they can afford to buy something else. But some of them, some of them just always come back to the palate. Cool. Are there military discounts or anything like that that you can kind of lean? We, you know, we have to go through um, uh, J.C. Newman to market on post. So he has he controls the pricing on post. He has an exclusive arrangement with all of the AP's um, armed, armed forces exchange systems um, to uh, provide cigars for them. So he buys from us and sells to them. But we we sell online right now. But and we do do discounts and so forth depending upon who asked for them, but, um, you know, you remember our first mission in this whole thing is that it's about giving back and we give back to military organizations. We give either bottles, product or money. Uh, generally it's been more product than money. And sometimes it's more money, but, um, you know, we just don't, um, it, it's interesting because we try to look at the consumer that they are our family. What would we sell to them and how much we could, I mean, your cars are sold at a certain price. You know, you got a certain margin. You know, you have to build it in. You know that you have to go from there. And because uh, if you don't, you don't have those lights on. You don't have the building. You're paying rent or paying whatever on the building. And so what happens is uh, we have to look at those as well. And so, um, but so far, 
uh, we've done a good job of making sure our pricing is correct. Uh, another thing is I'll let you know, listen, we're not here to compete with our, our, our fellow whiskey makers. We're just doing our thing. Uh, somebody asked me, they said, how did you start in regards to why the 12 years? Just talk about that for a moment. Is that if you go to a liquor store, what do you see? You see a ton of bourbons. You see a, to- a ton of tequila, ton of gin, whatever, whatever. <laughs> you will not find, you'll rarely ever find a 12-year-old American whiskey on that shelf. It's very difficult now to find anything with an age statement. Yeah. I think that's what Calumet is a standout right now when you walk into virtually any liquor store. Because there's an age statement on everything. Yeah. No matter what it is, they're at least telling you. Yeah. yeah. With, to your point, the whiskey is generally not <laughs> aged, right? Bourbon is, but whiskey is generally kind of a just right. blanket statement. Yep. The bourbon now, and now I think it's like four years. If you can get that, you might yeah. get something a little higher. It's going to be higher priced, but uh, you know, you try to fix, you know, try to find where do you fit, where's your lane in liquor store, and the, our biggest uh, probably hurdle yeah. since is uh, on premise you know, bars. A lot of bars won't carry our stuff because it's too high priced. We're not a, we don't have uh, brand ambassadors to their stores that are trying to push it and stuff. We're okay with that right now because guess Who, what? We're yeah. selling everything. Nobody, we get, nobody gives a shit. If the bar doesn't carry it, the guys that are buying, that's searching out the shit that want good stuff, it doesn't matter if it's in a fucking bar or not. Exactly. Most of the shit we ever look for is never in a bar. You're surprised if there's something halfway decent that's in a bar. Yeah. Um, Maker's Mark and Coke. And, yeah. yeah. I mean, there's a, obviously there's a, there's a few, you know, uh, exceptions to the rule. Sure. There's a, you know, great bar down in Louisville. There's some great ones in Chicago that, that do carry a wide selection of, of rare, hard to find and better bourbons, but as a general standout. And I, I don't, I think that's, I'm not telling you how to do business. I think that's fine. You don't want to, I mean, Maker's Mark's on every single fucking bar because it's fucking cheap and it tastes like shit. So you don't want like, to be sitting on the bar at Applebee's, right? It kind of dilutes the brand. No, you shouldn't right? be able to get this at TGI Fridays. As <laughs> exactly. much as I'd like it on, because I go to TGI Fridays quite often. Yeah, right, you get the Jack Daniels <laughs> steak. <laughs> well, it's funny. Like the second year we were doing this business um, on the whiskey side, we got a call from a very large um, grocery chain here in Florida, and they call call us up. Or they, they got a hold of Republic. They called me up and they said, "Hey, they want Bogos, which is a get one for free." Yeah. Or they want you to buy a slotting fee. We pay no slotting fees on any of our bottles. And I've been to liquor stores and I say, hey, why is our bottle on the on the bottom shelf? And they go, well, you don't pay a slotting fee. I said, what does it sell? And they go, yeah. I said, well, then keep it there. I'm not paying the damn slotting fee. Right. And, and it, you know, that's, in some way you have to say, it's like your product. You know your product is good. It's great. But why would you pay another person more money and to have it shown somewhere. And, and my deal is that we don't have to do that. Just put out the best right. product and everything else will fall into place. Which I got to tell you, while I'm talking to you, I keep on thinking about that Chevy truck that's on your um, website. And I'm like going, man, that'd be a great Hooten Young truck. Dude, I've, Which one we've got the legend, the legends truck, right? The square body. Yep. Yeah. We've got, we've got some plans. All right. We can't, we can't tell everything on the podcast, right? There's got to be surprises left for the public, but there's, We've got plans for a Hoot and Young edition. Yeah, that's that's all we'll say. Sure. We're going to leave it there. Well, I, it, but if Jeremy's going to say more. Go I ahead. got a little more. I mean, <laughs> it's right. a, you guys, I, we would love to connect with you guys on that because coming out with something, that truck, I mean, that, that truck is American, right? And to be able to do something that has some aspect of charity to it, to 
you know, give back to the veterans, the armed forces. I mean, that's something that I think I could speak for both of you guys. We're 100% passionate. I mean, Josh kneels for the national anthem. He's one of those dudes. But Phil, First of all, Phil's, <laughs> Phil's pretty patriotic. Stop. Yeah, that's a, that's a rough one to bring in. We've been... We've everybody that's listened. This is the time. If anybody is listening right now, this is the fucking time we go at it. Because we down. have we have a lot of fans and listener emails asking when we're going to fight. Say I kneel at the national anthem again, and this it those will are, happen tonight. Those are fighting words. That, that's shit that we don't fucking play with. All right, there's a lot of things we can play with. That right there doesn't happen. Hey, Josh. Yes. If you, if you need some help. We'll be up there in a minute. All right, come on. Let's go. You can say I listened to Florida Georgia Line. That one I'll, I'll be right. mad about, but I'll laugh about. But that I retract the statement. All right, dude. retract, retract the, statement. the statement. All right, we're all good. But go I'm on the right track, right? Yeah, I mean, you're we, on the right we, track. We would love to do something like that, you know, to theme a truck, to connect with you guys, to do something. And uh, I think it'd be an awesome opportunity. And like you said, the, the chance to give back. Of course. I mean, we're doing, we're doing stuff every single day because there's badasses like him. And many more badasses doing what they do to protect us and, and keep us fucking free to build 100%. fucking muscle cars and, you know, classic trucks and stuff like that. So, again, I'm, I live with guilt. I'm 44 years old. I live with the guilt that I was too big of a pussy to go do it. So anything that we could ever give the opportunity to do. I'm right there with you. Yeah, I think it would be I think it would be absolutely phenomenal. And the marketing opportunity and the cool ideas and the stuff, the branding, that's the stuff that we geek out about. Forget about all that stuff. Put you behind the wheel, both of you, and let you drive one. I think you'd be blown away. Oh, I have no doubt I'd be blown away. Tim, Tim might Tim might be a little scared, but it's <laughs> <that's> a, <laughs> a lot of power, man. Well, we've I know we've we've ran a little long. We've got just a couple of questions that we ask every single guest. Um, first up, what's the best piece of advice that you've ever received? Whoever wants to go first. Tim, go first. No, I'm trying to think what's the best advice. I, I will tell you this. Best advice is don't get over your head. You know, we just don't try to get overhead and financially wise and so forth. And so, you know, when I, I have seen mistakes with people having, you know, financial issues, marriages and so forth. And I got to tell you, and it's always to be honest. It's the integrity side, even with your spouse and so forth. And so if my wife would here would tell you, she would go like, you know, we've never, and we will never, I, I don't lie to her. I might not tell her everything, but I mean, um, she'll find out eventually. But, uh, <laughs> you know, the thing is, is always try to be as cheap as possible. Uh, save your money and don't get over your head on anything. And um, that's probably the best advice I, I've ever gotten was, man, you know, credit kills. Be frugal, huh? Be frugal. Is it, that must have been Phil. He's a finance guy. No, I was actually Mark quiet Arnold's. on that one. <laughs> I agree with it. That was, that <laughs> yeah, was Jeremy. I, <laughs> so, I, I fight these two yeah, on a I daily spend, basis. That's the worst right. advice I've ever heard. Yeah, yeah. I spend <laughs> it like it grows on fucking trees. You yeah. make more, right? Yeah. right? It's only money. <laughs> uh, what about no, you, Norm? Best advice I ever got uh, was early on in my life. Be very, very careful about the friends you choose. But once you choose them, you stick with them to the end. And... Uh, um, and that's served me very well in my life. I I, um, I don't I don't uh, warm up to people very easily. But once I once I make the decision to become a friend, I'm, I'm a friend for life, and I'm in it in it to the to the death. So um, and it's served me very well. That's awesome. Love it. Goes back to goes back to relationships, right? So. Absolutely. This is one that we bring in and out. We haven't done it in quite some time because honestly, I was starting to get a little disappointed at what 
our guest everyday carry was. So we oh, used to do this right. a lot. So, but I, I've got faith. I could be proven wrong. I've got faith that both of you guys are carrying something good. So we used to do a pocket dump, right? We haven't done it in probably 15 episodes. Both of you got to do a pocket dump of what is in your pockets right now. And I mean everything. If you're hip carrying, if you're appendix carrying, I want to know what's in your pockets. I want to know what's in your waistband. Both of you. And now Tim, Tim's looking there because he don't have a thing in his pocket. He's at home and he doesn't have a single thing in his pocket. He's you know, I got wearing mesh shorts. Here. Oh. All right. 38 or 357? 38. All right. No, I don't have anything in my pocket. I don't carry anything. That's a F-150 key. 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 That's a Ford key? Yeah, it's a, a Ford solo key. key. Yeah. And then um, I use this. Usually that's my dad just say, hide the muzzle blast in their ear. <laughs> if that doesn't work, then uh, you, you go for the go for the long gun. So, what's that back there? Is that Daniel Defense? That's a Daniel Defense uh, Victor Seven Pro. Man, you're good, dude. I have. Hey Norm, hey Norm, do you have that dagger back there? That gold dagger thing that was made. Tell about the I, I do not. It's somewhere around here, but we had a. I have a custom uh, uh, Bob Horgan or John Horgan and uh, um, very very special knife for us, but. Uh, Look cool, but that's it, man. That's what I'm. Oh, you got it. Tim got a breaks out a hatchet. Yeah, that's from Winkler. Is that right? Oh, that's same the, thing. That that's the best. That's Him and half face blades. That's top, the best top one. Part the, is the dangerous and top. Uh, the Winkler yeah, Winkler was the OG, right? That was the very first tomahawk that be carried by any kind of uh, SOCOM or special ops, right? Special forces. I have no idea. This is what I guess they used in the movie, right? Two yeah, I think Winkler was the first time. I think he, I think he was the first one. Dude, I'm over here like with my shop keys, right? All right. Are you ready? So we're oh, doing. I got we're shop doing... keys, and then I've got a katana. Sword. Oh shit! Like I just happen to have a katana. This on worked here. out perfect. Yeah. <laughs> just, just sitting right there, you know. It's I... Nice little carry. This has been under the uh, bench seat of the uh, legend truck that I daily drive every yeah. day. Because you never know. Well, fuck with me and find out. That's a, that is an absolute fuck fuck around and find out scenario, right? Dude, dude gets out of the truck with a fucking you katana. Know you're going to end up being on TikTok of the dude that gets into a fucking road rage incident with a katana. Oh, sword. and just behead somebody. You know, I picked that out. Let me see. Yeah, my son got me this for a birthday present, and he keeps asking me. He's like, "When are you going to bring it out on the podcast?" So he told me. He hinted at it. Yeah, he's hold uh, your hand up. I don't think <laughs> he's 12 years old and he, he loves the podcast, which really shouldn't be watching it. But he tells me he got me something and it's old. I said, well, how old? Really old. Thousands of years old. Is that what he said? Yeah. <laughs> oh, look at that. that. So hey, we had one thing, he made hey, one thing guys. I, I, one thing Norm had did not tell you. So uh, have you ever heard of the Gracie family? Of course. Yes. Yeah. Norm, Norm is uh, like best buddies. He trained with them. With Hoist? Damn. Long time ago. I trained with his dad, actually, uh, uh, Helio. Oh, wow. Back in, was how old are, and, you're tell, yeah, you're telling out, your age now. Yeah, I started out at the Gracie Academy in Torrance, California. Great guys. Awesome. So, oh, my, my son my son listens, and he shouldn't be as well as like his. So if he, if he, hear, hear, he hears that, he's going to freak out because he's a – an aspiring uh, MMA athlete. He wants to be a UFC fighter. So at 16 well, years old, he thinks he can whoop the world. And I'm sure <laughs> that you've. Yeah, it's a. I, I know. I've believe me. I've 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 told him that. But 
I'm sure that you know those hardheads uh, at 16 <laughs> years old that think they know everything. I've got a couple of them. Yeah. You can and tell when them. they're 30 years old, they're still hardhead. And you couldn't yeah, tell me yeah. anything at 16 either. Still can't. Uh, hey, you know, that's what, that's what makes them men. I mean, they, they're going to go off and they're going to they're gonna figure, they're gonna it, figure out. it out. They're going to, they're going to, they're going to choose their way and they're going to, it's going to be their way. So I, I like it. Yep. Uh, last but not least. Now we're going to change this one up. Usually we do favorite car movie and you can go favorite car movie if you want. However, if you want to change it up and do favorite military movie, I would like to hear that as well. We will accept that. Favorite military or favorite car movie, and why? Well, I'll do the car movie, and and um, I'm I'm this is probably one that everybody picks, but uh, but Steve McQueen Bullet Man. Mm-hmm. Bullets, uh, Bullet actually, I think is either number two or number three running right now with after ninety something episodes. It, it's American Graffiti, um, and. Uh, Ford versus Ferrari. Ford versus Ferrari is number two, and oh, then that's a great one. That's, yeah. awesome. Honestly, I gotta say, Tulane Blacktop is little like fourth. disappointed you didn't pick Rambo First Blood. I thought. Oh, that you was thought coming. he was gonna go Rambo? <laughs> I, I thought that Rambo First Blood was coming. <laughs> I don't think that's. I don't think that right. Now it's a great movie. Oh, I it's would, a great fucking movie. Yeah, it may I, not be as accurate once you've lived it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I guess I suppose. Yeah. It's probably like me watching like uh, Gone in Sixty. All right. Seconds. Well, now right. before we go to Tim, I want to ask you from your background and your in-depth knowledge. I want to know what the worst military movie is. Absolute oh, bar none. Worst. Yeah. Chuck Norris Delta Force. Worst movie. <laughs> <laughs> that he didn't even hesitate. He's he's got a. He definitely hates Delta Force. Uh, was it because of Chuck, or was it because of just the movie in, in, in general? It's a motorcycle with a rocket launcher on the front of the <laughs> Again, no hesitation. No, dude. Stallone didn't have a rocket launcher on the motorcycle. He just had an old two-stroke. That was it. There was nothing on it. Do you count the number of rounds while they're firing in the movie? Like He didn't reload. Oh, That's yeah. Not... No, I gave up on doing that a long time ago. Like, Man, dude ran out, ran out of... Uh, Ran out of magazines in like first five minutes. Of the movie. Yeah, that's the same. That's the same thing with me when I watched Bullet. Right, that dude. It was like a semi truck. You know, it had like sixteen gears, all just shifting. I will constantly. say for a, a modern movie. Now, the good act, movie though. It is the movie. action and uh, I just watched it the other day. Uh, Extraction two, right? Extraction one was great. Sure. Extraction two, so wildly blown out of proportion as far as the fight scenes and obviously it's a movie and stuff. But as far as the technical and the guns and the warfare and stuff like that, they got it really, really damn good. I mean, round counts, sounds, I mean, uh, from the suppressed weapon sounds to the site, everything that they're doing, I didn't catch. I'm sure you can, but I, I didn't catch anything that was wildly Hollywood fuck up obvious. It was like they're they're really – somebody, whoever was the consultant on that, did a, did a damn good job. I got a couple of buddies that consulted on that movie, and the train scene, I guess, on Extraction 2, I haven't seen it yet. Yeah. Where they're getting off the helicopters on top of the train. Yeah, we actually we actually did that. It was that was stuff that we did in the army. But uh, but yeah, it was pretty pretty cool to see the clip. It it was a great movie for a reason because you had buddies that consulted on it. I mean, it was really fucking good. I, I keep eyeballing and I'm waiting for the time to watch it. That's, yeah, it's a great. Hey, well, I don't watch the time, but I'll tell you this: I just watched John Wick Four. Yeah. 
Dude, that is blood and guts. That guy never runs out of bullets. Uh, yeah, that was a that, super accurate. And how many steps can you fall down and keep walking? That step oh, like, scene was about twelve minutes too long on a, many, on a thirteen many, minute episode. I mean, how many times did he get hit by a car? Oh yeah, he still get yeah. up. I'm it's like, a. I'm I'm glad to see it kind of come to an end, but. I mean, one through three was way better. One and two was, was way better. I hadn't seen it. I do like Keanu Reeves as an actor. I mean, it, no, it, stop, it's stop. Uh, as it a character. Bill and Ted's Excellent Adventure. Is kind of his he's not an. He's not an actor. He's not. Uh, he's a uh, character. Okay. He plays the same role in every movie. Yeah. yeah. But you know, you guys are missing out on something. Jack Carr's Terminal List is one of the best movies out there. Oh, I love I, it. Hundred percent. Love it. My biggest problem, and I know, I mean, Jack's not going to listen, so it doesn't matter. This is my problem, and he's addressed this with all of his fans and stuff. I read every single book, cover to cover, way before the first episode aired on thing. And being a fan and reading the book and in detail and the storyline, I 100% understand why they went the way they went for a TV show. But they're two different things. There's the book, and then there's the the series, you know, or the movie. Um, I, if I would have read the book after, I'd have been okay. Reading the book before, I was. I'm thrilled that there was just I got so to, many. I got to watch it. Right. Oh, I, I'm not. A, I'm not a reader. I understand. For me, it was great. I loved it. But I'm looking forward to second season. Jack Carr had the best analogy, and it made sense because if, and I haven't done this until after. So, Rambo: First Blood, like you talked about, right? The the writer of that, I'm mis. I can't forget, but it was a book first. Rambo. Rambo was a book yeah, before nobody, it was nobody cares about I that. know but listen they they may wrote sure. the book then they had to make the movie obviously you can't make the movie like you the book was way better Jack Carr acknowledges that so he was fine with the way that the show had to be to be a show that it wasn't the way the book was and there's just things that you can't do but me I've I've told myself or I've pictured that movie in my head by reading the book and then seeing it on screen, it was different than what I pictured in my head. So it was it was a little it was a little off putting because hmm. anyway, you, every, I don't know if you were readers if any of you have read anything and you've read something and then they make a movie about it, the picture you've seen in your head is different than what you see on screen, and it's it takes you a little bit to kind of get used to it. Well, you're talking to a guy who's an accountant. Oh, okay. Reads a lot. Well, my stuff is boring. <laughs> I, yeah. So Norm, Norm's the activity guy. He knows. He watched. He, 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 okay. Well, let's be frank. Since, since we're past the time now, yeah. so I called Norm. I said, "What are you doing?" Friend of the computer. Yeah. I said, "You watching Fox News?" Yep. I said, "I can. I don't even have Fox. I have no T. I have eleven TVs here, and I don't watch any of them because we don't. I just we're just so busy doing other stuff. But then my wife will put on that HGTV crap on, and I'll tell you this: that is the only show that we watch here at the house. So we're pretty boring. <laughs> And then she becomes a designer. And I went, when the hell did you become a designer? Well, I've been watching this show. I said, does that qualify you to be a designer? She goes, well, it's better than I was before. I went, oh, my gosh, I can't do this anymore. <laughs> so, yeah, we uh, – but, you know, guys, you know, th this has, has been a wonderful time. Spent. I want to know more about you guys. Uh, I don't know how I'm going to – you know, sit down. I guess we're going to sit down together and just talk. Yeah, we're going to do it. We're going to – we're going to um, talk about – We're going to start our podcast with Black, and we're going to have you guys down on the farm. We'd love have to. Have you fly down. We, we would be on. Can we can we shoot some guns down there? Man, you can shoot all you want. We got a couple thousand acres and nothing to nothing to do but shoot. Let's do so, it. Let's not even wait for the podcast. Yeah. Let's just come down there next weekend the and shoot. Yeah. And my father my father in law is like really into 
old cars and old equipment, old tractors, old stuff like that. So you guys would. We'll drive some stuff down, man. Yeah, we'll we'll bring some cars down. Drink some whiskey. Drive. He likes old stuff because he's old. Uh, So, (laughs) yeah. Him and Josh should get along great. Still a stud, though. Uh, This this has been amazing, guys. Real real quick. Would you call your cars, because it's an old body, but everything else under it is all brand new. Sure. So what what do you call that? Uh, The... The, hard to, hard to put a title the on most it. generic and widely accepted term would be a resto mod. Yeah. Resto mod. Okay. That's that's the <laughs> that's the easiest way to, right. to explain it. This is like asking this is like asking somebody who their favorite kid is, but what's your favorite? That's easy. I mean, that's an easy one. I got two kids. That's an easy one to answer. No, <laughs> the one that got you a katana sword. <laughs> yeah, the one that got the katana. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. Uh, uh, on car wise, there's favorite car. I don't know if I could pick a favorite car. Favorite yeah, car is tough. Hard. Favorite yeah. car is tough. We did a car that will forever stick with me. The uh, Rampage. We it's called the Rampage Camaro. Just a nasty, nasty car. Really, like the car. Just the way the car made you feel. The like driving it, experiencing it. It did everything well. It was. That's probably the lingers you know, in the number one spot for me. You know, I'm going to tell you this is aging myself, but I was writing it down. I said, you know, because I was waiting for you to ask me, what was your first car? And I had a 1978 Pontiac Aster. Living in Corpus Christi. It had plastic seats, no air con. And I'm going to tell you this, but I put about 20 speakers in it and uh, back then. And my parents would say, oh, you must really love this car. I said, I hate it because I can't. It's stick shift, right? I've been trying to find that car. Forever. That's like a Nova, isn't it? Tim strikes me as a as a pacer guy kind of. (laughs) What year what year was that when you put those twenty speakers in it? Was that ninety three, ninety two? No, no, no. I graduated from high school in nineteen eighty. So it was about nineteen seventy eight a Pontiac Aster. Nineteen seventy eight. So what so that was I think my parents were in you were in Texas? You were yes. So you put twenty speakers in it. You weren't, oh yeah, it was all in the back. You weren't listening to country. Was that oh, yeah. B, was that B? You weren't listening to country with That's, twenty speakers I, in it. Nineteen eighty is a I strange love year. Country music, man. So love in, in seventy eight, that was what? Conway. Journey, Foreigner. That's not those, country music. Well, I you said Journey those, and right? Foreigner. Well, I listened to those too. You said well, all those but I'm trying know. to think. If you said country, I'm trying to think country in seventy eight, and that would be what Conway Twitty. Yeah. Uh. I mean, George Jones is still yeah. George Jones getting after George it. Jones wasn't he didn't have any hits in the late seventies though. It was like early and then late. Yeah, he was a little drunk. What were you so you were listening to Journey and Foreigner? You said you listened to country music, but you said Journey and Foreigner, and I bet you there was some Bee Gees in there. Nope. No, no Bee Gees. Like, no Bee Gees. So, so what, you know you can sing word for word. How deep is my love? <laughs> <laughs> was that Air Supply? No, that was you know who that was. It was the Bee Gees. <laughs> <laughs> he said, "You know, you guys are are. This has been no, an but, absolute fucking blast, really." You know, we we have a guy. You haven't probably met him yet. His name is Chris Lane, and he has a couple hits out and so forth. And you know, we've been meeting a lot of the country guys that are in the whiskey and so forth. And uh, we've been talking to them as well about doing something, collaborating together. Sorry. And uh, my dogs bark at everything that moves. <laughs> that's, their, that's the point. That's what they're, they're doing, earning their keep. Well, no, the thing is, I don't need a doorbell, and I don't need an alarm system. <laughs> they wouldn't, uh, 
but I would say it has uh, been a phenomenal time. You know, a thing is that life is short. Enjoy it. And uh, we just keep on trucking along like we're having a great time. And and uh, and we will we're definitely can't wait to do something with you guys. And I know that Norm and I have talked about this several times and our group has, too. And uh, anything you guys need, we're here for you. We and, appreciate it. Uh, Likewise. We've now, I know that I like to spend some time with Phil because he sounds like he's the smart one of the group. He is. Uh, he is. Y'all, you can listen to the Bee Gees and, we, and we, do Excel sheets, and uh, uh, the rest of the festival we will go shoot drink guns. And I don't know about the Bee Gees, but yeah. we will openly yeah, admit you, that. You know, we won't, we won't argue that with and you. And I like that setup you guys have there, too. Did you guys you. build that? Yeah, we, we did. did. Yeah. Yeah, it's a cool little room. You know, all I got is my backyard, and Norman's in his office in Tifton, Georgia. And I got to tell you this, is that we could only dream to be like you guys. Yeah, whatever. You're doing all right. Yeah. You guys are way more badass. <laughs> Ser- I'm, I'm being dead serious. This has been an absolute amazing time. We've got to figure out a way to hang together. we got to shoot some guns. Yeah, we got to drive some cars. we got to smoke some cigars, learn about those, pick one out. we got to smoke, drink some whiskey, pick one out. And I, I mean, can't state this uh i don't know enough enough, enough yeah. that okay, so we're so super excited about the future real quick zero to ten what do you think of those bottles real quick uh, they'll be honest i we we got to do a whiskey review anyway so let's just do it right now yeah. we, we've got to do a whiskey review so it's time for whiskey review i'll, I'll start them both off as they're both biots that's an easy one hey, right right so all right hey, let you know josh i own that name what whiskey review? Yeah, you. I, yeah, you do. I know, but I can still. We are doing a whiskey review. I didn't say we go to whiskeyreview.com. I said we are doing a whiskey review. We, we put in. We put an accent over the e. It's review. Whiskey. Yeah. Review. Whiskey review. Yeah. Whiskey. Yeah. <laughs> All right. So first up, twelve year, and then sixteen year. All right. We've kept up with. Every single whiskey, and we did a review every single episode. We actually have back here in the back, we did a we did a one-ounce pour of every single whiskey from season one. So we have an infinity bottle of every single whiskey from season one that we are going to... May or may not have been a good idea. Yeah, we don't know. We might make us blind. But uh, <laughs> we're going to break it out in a uh, future either episode and or show. So... Uh, so, starting with the twelve year. Starting with the twelve year. Twelve years, a hundred percent buy it. the The flavor of that initially is fucking amazing, right? It's loaded with flavor. I'm gonna hit that with an eight six, right out of the gate. Mm. I think it's solid. Going big. I'm drinking that. That I put that up there. That's one of those ones you throw on the bar. That's a go to. That you grab it and you serve it to the friends that you like. Differentiation. Yeah. So you, if you don't like them, you not, probably wouldn't like, you know, when, when your wife brings somebody over that they're like, oh, I think you'll really like those them. aren't your friends. Like they're, they're, those are just he's, the people he's that are in, there. He's into cars. Yo, that's, into again, cars. that's not a friend. That's exactly. just some douchebag that's over there because you're right. making your wife happy. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> Phil, what are you, what are you at? Uh, um, I think I actually like the 12 year better than the 16. I think it was a little bit smoother. Probably the proof is significantly lower, right? It is. Like a, yeah, this uh, is 92. 90s. Okay. 92 That's, versus 125. Yeah. I think I like that one better than the uh, the 16-year. This has got the cool guy factor on it, though, with the 16-year. This is easier to drink. Yep. 16-year's got way more flavor. But. Hmm. 
I like the so, flavor better on that one too. I don't know. I'm going to go looking, eight. So go ahead. You look back here. So we have a 15 year old. We also have two wine casts here as well. We uh, haven't, we haven't had the wine cast yet. You haven't, you haven't had the 15 year either. No, we haven't. Um, we, we have some good juice coming out and currently now. So we'll bring our whole set of our products and let you guys taste the hell out of it. That now you might sense. not be able to leave that night. Hopefully That's fine. We've, we've taken before. Ubers before. It's not a big deal. <laughs> we ain't scared. What's your, what's your number, Phil? I'm going to go eight, five on that. Cause I just like a good, even number on all my reviews. Eight, five, solid, solid bourbon. Um, I like that better. I'm going to go eight and a quarter on the 16 year. Oh, he's going eight and a quarter on the 16 year. Jeremy hasn't done the 16 year yet. I'm going to do the 12 year. I love this, uh, for the easy drinking. So, there's no, this one's better than this one's. There's different times of the year. There's different things that you're doing during the day that you want a smoother sipper or you want some spice and some heat. So 12-year, great. It's a little thinner. I like the sometimes the thicker viscosity or the fat if we're going to sit down and drink whiskey. However, throw a little olive oil in there. Then there's, there's been times where I come in and it is a hot day and you want to throw something together and you want a little thinner. I put this as again comparison wise this is a blanton's right so this is a this is the the viscosity of blanton's sure right um i'm gonna give this an eight four the 16 year absolutely fucking phenomenal i loved the fact that i don't get the burn like i thought i would from 125 proof and i think that's because it's lighter and you don't get all that oak burn We've learned this now as going forward that sometimes that the oak is what you think is burned and it's really not. Sure. Um, I think the flavor is phenomenal. I some at some for some reason gravitating towards a higher proof. I'm going to give that an eight six on the sixteen year. What do you what are you giving for the yeah, sixteen I year? So I didn't review the sixteen year, but the sixteen year it's spicy, it's hot, but I it's a great for 125 proof. You can't, you don't drink a lot of stuff that's 125 proof that's no, that don't. smooth, that good. You can't drink drink George T. Stag like that. You you pretty much can't drink George T. Stag. But you can start a car on it. Or yeah. I was gonna <laughs> yeah. go. You could fire a rocket. Yeah, you <laughs> you could, yeah. I think a Model <laughs> T you could run. Yeah, you, you could, could drive. Yeah. significant. You, a Briggs and Stratton could run right. on. A, yeah. I, I'm gonna go. I actually like it. I would sip that slow. That would be a nice like hang out with some buddies. Sip it. In the evening, eight six five. I'm gonna give it a Ooh. step up from the from the twelve year. I hit the twelve year at eight six. I'm going a little bit better. That's a serious so, review. You're going to the hundreds. Yeah, you know, I'm not but around. I got a question for you. What's your not? You have a nine or a ten? We we have never gotten to a ten. I think we've got to a nine grab, either. I'll grab the reviews real quick. Well, we give Jack Jack Daniels is like a nine two. I think isn't it? <laughs> I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. <laughs> What do you guys recommend for a cigar pair with either of these? Do you have a go-to which which one of your cigars matches with uh, with the different bourbons? The Modus goes with just about everything. All right, so for just for for everybody to understand, so for season two, a yet to be released episode, we had some. I don't know if you've ever heard of the ball brand the ball moonshine brand uh it's from a <laughs> it's from in the mountains of georgia and it's a, a peach it's a peach flavored pete with it's a uh legit 
uh, it comes in a, a ball mason jar. Yeah, that's a, it's a little-known company that not many people know of that comes in from North Georgia. Your father from the beginning of the episode may have uh, yeah. experienced Yeah, and that one, that one ranked pretty high. Um, that Is one that ranked, Dahlonegan? Do what? Is that Dahlonegan, where they're from? Uh, Dahlonega? It's in, that, it's in that area, yeah. But it's, uh, they don't have to go near... Near the regulations that you have to in the distribution. You don't, you don't want to pinpoint their, their tin pigeon. Exactly. No, I, just, I don't. Just look for the smoke coming out of the trees. Yeah, this one was, uh, <laughs> this is, yeah. We don't, you can't buy this in stores. That one ranked like pretty it. high. Uh, we did a, we did Pappy Van Winkle 15 year. Uh, that did 9, 8.9, and 8.7 for ref, for reference. Uh, then we did. But Pappy 15 was 8 to what? Uh, Pappy. Uh, Phil did it at a nine. Jeremy did it at eight point nine. I did it at eight point seven. You know, it's interesting. You talk about a Pappy fifteen on uh, a gray market. It's about a two thousand dollar bottle. Yeah, we got. Yeah, we got some back there. Yeah. That's it's rid- ridiculous what they're bringing on the secondary. Yeah. So what I try to do is range. Go. Am I going to pay two thousand dollars or am I going to pay seventy bucks? Yep. That's exactly. That's why I'm giving you the. That's why I'm giving you scores. So. We did a Rock Hill Farms was eight five eight six and eight five right, that's which a, is that's a phenomenal bourbon. Rock Hill Farms is a great bourbon, and that's basically dead on what the twelve year was. The sixteen year was a little step up from that, just a bit. Uh, Elmer T Lee, basically, we did eight five eight seven five and eight two. Uh, Hancock's that's, that's, Reserve, that's, Old Forester. Is, bur- is that Elmer T Lee? Was that a rye or was yeah, that no? A that's a bourbon. That was just the bourbon. The Old Forester birthday bourbon was the one that we have yet to beat. That's the highest ranked in two seasons. 9.3, 9.1, and 9.4. That's the highest that we've bottle. got. You need, I need to get that bottle. We can, we can arrange we, that. We, yeah, we're still recording, but we can uh, take care of some things. You sure. know, we, we can handle some stuff. Josh has several. I was just at his house the other night. He's got... Three or four of them, he'd be happy to send you one out of his personal collection. You got more than me. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm sure we can figure we can figure something out. Yeah, we'll hook you up. Okay, guys. Well, anything else you guys want to ask us? And I mean, we've gone we've gone through it. I think this has been absolutely amazing. I'm I'm looking for we gotta hang out in person. We gotta do this shit in person. We gotta smoke, we gotta drink, we've gotta yeah, we gotta further hey, the relationship. Hey, we got to drink it together, and that's the that's the absolutely that's the bottom line. I'm looking forward to doing both. Got to awesome. share a bottle. We're gonna make it happen. Appreciate it, fellas. It's been a blast. Thanks, guys. Bye, guys. Talk to you Thank soon. You. Take care. Bye. Bye. We need to if we're gonna start getting into the cigar smoking, we're gonna have to get one of those smoke eaters. Okay. Uh, insider information. Go ahead. From Norm Hooten. Don't spend your money on the smoke eater. Okay. Because it doesn't do a good enough job. Cut a hole in the roof. Yes, or the outside wall. He said, just do an exhaust fan that you can turn on and off with a flapper on it. He said, it'll do a way better job if you have an outside wall, which we have an outside wall and an outside ceiling. You know what You know what else you could do, too, is just like my dad did, just smoke it in here. And then when you smoke it... <laughs> hold it. Oh, you hold it behind your back. Well, I, you hold, well, you hold it behind your back, but while you're talking here. Hold it. <laughs> I, I think we should... We need to put the fan in, and we need to start smoking. A cigar... On this would be, I know I would enjoy it. Pairs well. Yeah. Especially when we have an oil and whiskey edition cigar. Phil? I still got some. 
Well, great episode. It was absolutely amazing. Solid dudes. Love the love the history. Yeah, looking, for, looking forward to hanging out with those guys. We got to set something up. Yeah, yeah sure. We absolutely do. It's great dudes. Big thanks again to Hooten Young. Remember, you can keep up with Hooten Young by following them on Instagram at hooten.young. Thanks for listening to Oil and Whiskey with the Roacher Shop, an ironclad original. If you like the show, hop down there at the bottom, leave a rating, leave a review, smash that like button, subscribe. Unless it's a bad review, then don't leave it at all. Yeah. Only had one or two of those so far. Or put a comment down there and be like, this fucking sucks. I listened to the whole thing and it still sucked. But listen to the next episode. Maybe it won't suck. Yeah, it might be we better. get better with everyone. Absolutely. Thanks again to our guest, Hooten Young. We'll see you again next week.